Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Lots of Lowdown. We've been Lowdown the whole time tonight, so I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my Spencer. Spencer, how are you? A little bit disappointed, man. I gotta say, this, not to bury the lead, not my favorite episode of Ted Lasso this season. Ooh, coming out hot. So, Spencer and I actually in the room together, so if you get that sweet, sweet audio quality, that is what is going on. <laughs> only Lee's technology could offer. It's really good. We're here in New Orleans together, which is why this pod's a little bit late. We're sorry about that. For the rest of the season, I don't envision us being late on any podcast. Don't hold me to that, but I don't think we will. This is the, the big event for both of us so we're here together we're recording together that is why my voice is worse i don't i don't sound the, the normal baritone that you normally get from lee is not there yeah the, I, i'm struggling the vocal fry that we you're hearing right now not put on we're not doing this for the sake of views or you know seduce our listeners we're just all kinds of burned out but we are still here for we're you we're here we want to talk last so we want to i specifically want to talk about the episode you didn't like because i think that there's been some episodes this season that you did like i did very one specifically you told me you thought was one of the better episodes they've done this one you didn't like as much. Um, let me do a couple plugs for Mango Talks, and then we'll get into why you didn't like it. So, Mango Talks Podcast Network, that is what is putting this podcast on. Myself, Spencer, a couple other people who do a plethora of podcasts here on the Podcast Network. We do, the, of course, this podcast, Last of Lowdown, but Spencer and I are also, week by week, going through the final season of Succession. Mm-hmm. That, la- that last season of Succession is a bang-bang, shoot 'em up situation. It is a lot to take in. Hell yeah. A lot to deal with. We just recently got the newest podcast uh, out on that about Connor's wedding. So you can go over to the Line of Succession podcast. That's Line of Succession podcast. That's a different podcast feed. You can go get our review of the television show Succession. We're also doing a review of the third season of Mandalorian over on Mangum Talk Star Wars, myself and Jamie. And then Spencer kind of bops in and bops out. You're going to be there for the finale, so you'll be able to talk Damn to straight. us next week about what you saw in the finale. The three of us will do three-man weave again and discuss what we saw in the finale of Mandalorian and what we think of the whole episode going into future Star Wars projects that certainly will interconnect in this plot. And then we have our, our trusty, our standby, our ever-popular podcast called Pottering Around. It's over on the Mangum Reads podcast feed. You can get it by going to Mangum Reads. That's the podcast feed. And Pottering Round is a chapter-by-chapter reread of Harry Potter that Spencer very much is a part of, mm-hmm. participates in, and pretends not to read ahead. Absolutely not. Never once, never has occurred the aspersions you cast against me, sir. He's, see, still pretending. Okay. I need to know why you didn't like this episode. Give me a, give me a rundown of what you didn't like. I didn't dislike it, but I thought it was one of the, probably the, the, the weakest episode of the season. It felt very rote. It felt very much like we were just almost too scattered. We were going, we were checking at various plot points. It was a heavily plot-driven episode. They were trying to hit several of those plot threads all at the same time. It didn't feel like it had a, a single current thread. It didn't feel like it was something that was really effectively linking those together. And in terms of where some of those plots went, I was kind of disappointed in some of the, resol- in some of the resolutions that seemingly were built up throughout the season to this point for how they resolved. So... A mix between the episode itself not feeling the best structured, several of the characters feeling kind of flanderized, and the plot points not resolving the way I really hoped that felt would have felt more meaningful in my kind of view. What did you think, though? I'm curious. I So we have this ongoing struggle. It's an epic battle on the Mangum Talks Podcast Network about should you end a show pretty quickly? Ah, the, the so, so often fought war with should, every show. Should you in the should you in the show fair, fairly quickly with a pre known plot, or should you mm-hmm. continue to tell stories within that world and kind of let it go and go? Right, to give you more of the universe. Sure, exactly. And I'm I, I always want more. You always want less. Uh, you want a tighter story, something that that makes sense, that doesn't have logical holes, things like that. I'm a little less concerned about that. I like more story, and I like them telling multiple stories within a particular television show. Here, I here's what I here's what I offer to you, please. 
Th- the third season might not actually be the right season to end it because it feels like they're having to rush. <clears throat> that's a problem. I think. Mm. I think what we're seeing is they've committed to this concept that the third season is it. They've probably they probably their production contracts and all probably run out after the third season. Sure. Some of the actors who are relevant for this particular off part contract. of the story, which is AFC Richmond, that day they probably aren't available next time, next couple of years for a season four. So they're trying to wrap everything up, and I feel like it's going way too fast, and that's why I got exactly what you got, which was we're bouncing around, real big things are happening mm-hmm. without a lot of buildup. And we're, we're rushing towards certain plot points. I'll give you one example. Please. Nate. They are rushing his... Nate's one of the more egregious. They are obviously going to redeem Nate. We knew that all along. We talked about that on this podcast. Mile away. Yeah. But they're doing it fast, and it doesn't feel earned. This is a, this is a Spencer quote. It doesn't feel earned. I'm with you on that. And, and particularly for Nate, this episode, front and center... We talked about last episode that it felt like we were seeing a bit, seeing like the other side of Nate, maybe the side of Nate that he wasn't showing to others, seeing a bit through the facade he'd built around. This episode, it didn't seem like the facade even existed. It didn't seem, it seemed like we were just seeing the Nate that we loved from back in season one and season two with no other progress in time since then. It didn't feel like the Nate villain that they'd been previously building up and establishing with aspects of his character and interactions with others we've seen many times. None of that was present or acknowledged. Now, they could return to that, but it made this episode, particularly for Nate, feel really like a, just a jarring shift to make him feel sympathetic again. You know, I love wrestling, and I feel like sometimes in wrestling, they'll take a character that is very um, established, mm-hmm. like a performer that's very established. Like, let's say Brock Lesnar. You've heard the name I've Brock heard, of course, Brock. You don't even watch wrestling, but you know Brock Lesnar. He's an so established he's, Yeah. They will switch him from heel to face. This means villain and hero. Back and forth really, really fast. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was getting that with Nate. I felt like they're, they they know we're not going to ever be out on the Nate character. Mm-hmm. They know we're not just going to be like, we don't care about his story. So they, I think they feel like they can, they can have a little bit of freedom of movement within him. And it's confusing because the episode that I just watched, I like Nate. Mm-hmm. If he, you just say, give me that episode in a silo, I like him. Why do I why do I suddenly like him again? They haven't told me why I like him again. Why is he so different than what we saw in the back half of the last season in episode one, two, three? Four? It's like they're setting him up as being a more just a misunderstood villain that can easily step away from this mantle he's put on because it's not the real person that he is. Forgetting that he hurt, he has hurt a lot of people along the way. He's done he's acted a legitimate asshole and jerk to numerous people around him. We've seen that not only just last season but this season. But they're brushing all of that aside, at least from what we're seeing in this episode. And I think that's a trend that we've already kind of noticed that's where they're going on so that they can expedite him being redeemed and returning to the good guys by the end of this season. Yeah, and before everybody gets really fired up with this, I don't think this is a bad episode of television. An episode of Lasso that I don't like as much as other episodes is still good television. Certainly. I'm still entertained. I still laughed. I still love the characters. I'm not out on the show by any stretch. I'm just trying to compare it to what they've done previously and where I think they're going, and it just feels a little rushed. Sometimes it's seamless. Sometimes you can see the threads. Still makes for a good, still makes for a good product, but we can much more visibly see the movings and workings and how those are kind of not as organic as usual. Exactly. We don't, we don't dislike the show. We're not out on the show. Uh, it's just that this episode seems like there were some things that weren't quite up to the level of quality we've seen before. I like I like the analogy you use. You can see the threads a little bit. Um, all right, so we have our segments here on the Lasso Lowdown. We will start with Tea Time with Lee. We'll go to uh, Biscuits with the Boss, where Spencer brings a sweet treat to the podcast. Spencer, today I'm going to alleviate 
You can sit back. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna release you from the duty. What? Instead, I will tell you the dessert I'm giving you. I've got a dessert for oh, you. I'm gonna give it to you and then you'll review it. Okay? Can we do that? The surprises you throw me. I get to see you and you're giving me dessert. Yep. You don't have to come up with anything. Okay. You don't have to pull. The, you don't the, have to pull some cookies out of your bag. I got you something. The Milky Way I got to compare to the Snickers, I will set aside. Then we'll go into a recap, Spencer. Every week, heroically leaves a recap beat by beat, walking us through the episode. I will chime in with an attempts at jokes, attempts at witty banter, but definitely, even with my hoarse voice, mm-hmm. some Ted impressions. And then we will go to the end of the episode where we do train wreck of the week. We'll do Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. No. Oh, that's wrong show. show. Yeah. Well, no. Instead, we'll do Ted's life lessons. And Indeed. Yeah, I get those two two confused because they're basically the same segment by different so, people. Yeah. So I will do Ted's life lessons, and we will do train wreck of the episode. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's pretty much our segments. Let's start with tea time with Lee. What you got? Well, um, for anybody who is struggling with the audio of this episode because of my gravelly voice, I'm here. I hear you. I know that my vo- my voice is gravelly. I know that I'm not up to the normal. But like, sound quality. So I have got Yogi Throat Comfort Tea here. Perfect call. Given the 30 years of smoking you've done between this last episode and this one, perfect thing for you to have. Yep. Yep. All those cigarettes. Uh, the Throat Comfort Tea is an herbal tea that blends licorice root with slippery elm bark. How about mm. that? Slippery elm bark. And it kind of, I tell you, it tastes a little bit like cherry maybe. Um, an orange peel. It's got kind of like a citrusy sounds lovely front end and a sort of cherry back end. And it look hot. Hot tea does soothe the throat, so this is going to help. Maybe maybe by the time I get to my TED impressions, I'll be all set to go. Nourishing for life. <laughs> all right, I'm going to kick it over to you while I another another cigarette. What do you um, what do you think about our biscuits with the boss this week, Spencer? This week, being in New Orleans, I have got you beignets. I don't know. I've actually had beignets before, and I'm staring at these and more than a little bit confused, but I will be curious to taste these over the course of the podcast. So, I appreciate you went regionally appropriate. All right, so the first thing you notice is what seems like an excess amount of powdered sugar. I was going to comment on that, yes. So it, it gets everything dirty. So what I would say about if you're in New Orleans and you get beignets, eat them outside, do the bend, <laughs> the bend over move. Thank you for giving me the unauthentic, okay, you give me an authentic dessert, the unauthentic experience. Yeah, do not, don't. Don't eat them in your car. Don't take them home. My laptop will be okay. Yeah, and, and they're best when they first come out of the fryer. So it's a type of thing. You go to Cafe Beignet, you go to Cafe Dumont, you get the beignets, you eat them right there on the sidewalk. But you've got, got some here a couple hours old for your eating pleasure as we go through the podcast. Thank you, sir. I appreciate this. You want to do a recap for us? I can. Uh, we have commented before on the time jumps the show likes to do. We have a time jump here. We have a time jump of over a month of where we kept checking with Richmond, having lost or tied apparently every single game since we last saw them. Mm. They are now falling into ninth place, losing the West Ham. They've got six wins, six draws, three losses. They've drawn most of the games that we've played since they played since we last saw them. Here, they've lost the game that we're jumping into. The fans, the announcers, the coaches, the players, everybody's dispirited. Suspicion is beginning to fall, not on the, not on the players, though, specifically on the coaching staff in the bullpen, in the aspect of the locker room. Everyone seems to agree coaches seem to be letting these players down. They've got the ability, particularly Zava, who, as we hear in this game, is still scoring like a champ to try to carry them through, but the overall team is falling apart. Even worse, they're playing Man City next week, which has been an age-old rival as we saw back in Season 2 with respect to this team. Uh, Twitter and or Higgins' dad are 
far from being kind on the subject of how the team is doing. Uh, have you, do you have anybody like like that with respect to you that just sends you those utter that's a clear close with but just sends you utterly abusive messages in terms of what you what you do in your life? Yeah, I got a couple of those for sure, <laughs> and I and I also got people who um, send me really and I I do, I do this sometimes will send really hot-headed messages about sports. Mm-hmm. So, like, this sort of, like, barking that we're getting from the crowd. Out yes. Is, we know the guy yelling. The hecklers. The guy, the guy yelling loves loves the team. Loves yes. the AFC Richmond. He's angry because he loves them, and, he, and he's upset that they're not doing well. And, and a lot of real passionate fans have that trouble of the line of, like, how do I properly criticize something that I'm seeing? Because yeah. I am seeing a problem, and I can call that out while still being supportive of the team that I'm always in a route for. For me, it's UNC basketball. You and I both went to UNC Chapel Hill. I will always root for UNC basketball until the day I die. This last season was disappointing, and I was, like, legitimately angry, but I didn't know that line to walk. How much do I criticize while still being a fan? Absolutely true. I'm happy to say that my dad has never sent me a message saying that I eat more ass than my mom. Happy never to have received that from that particular source. Just saying that right there. Yet. I'm just going to hope that holds true in the future. Just keep that out of my life. Uh, Ted is seemingly also at a loss as to why the team is doing so poorly and is caught off guard of when he asks the other coaches and they all immediately have an answer. All of them. They're varied answers, but each of them is honed in as the problems the team is having that Ted's not really registering. The offense, the defense, particularly the motivation, are zilch, with Roy notably noting that they are mostly just players standing around watching Zava, which... I think we had a little bit of prediction that might be the case. They're so in awe of him. They're so reliant on him. They're not really factoring in their own contribution to the team or how they can support him or how they can make a joint strategy. They're just kind of expecting him to carry them at this point. And that is hurting their chances. Uh, Ted's left utterly speechless this and tries to deflect, saying that, you know, what? well, Ted seems surprised that there is ready to vent about this. He's even more surprised, though, when Rebecca comes in. Hey, boss, what's going on? Uh, full head of steam, looking like the charging Valkyrie that she is. I forget how tall she is, except when yeah, she walks in the room. Yeah, I worry about Rebecca. I couldn't, I couldn't tell my TV settings were off. How'd she look this episode? Uh, good. Look good. Oh, okay. Look, still looks look good. Great. Got it. Okay. Uh, I will it. admit, I had some competition from Healy this episode. We'll get there, though. Okay, interesting. Uh, she, calmly, politely, little, just, you know, quick, hey, mild question. Uh, are we ever going to win another fucking match? Uh, well, huh? Concern in your voice and its volume. <laughs> it's volume. Volume, I'm registered. Uh, he, he's speechless in response. This is not a process. It uh, mostly deflects, says that they're going to pretend the club is a ship and turn it around, pointing right at the North Star. And then, in a very telling moment of symbolism, everybody points in a different direction because none of them even know what direction is north when it comes to this team right now. So. Obviously, I got that joke. It it was a joke. It did. It felt a little bit forced. Tad on the nose, it, it, right? It was silly. Yeah, it was going for silly. I think. Yeah. Sometimes their jokes. I'm like, okay, that, they're doing a joke that basic. Got it. Yes. Okay. We're, we're here for it. Uh, intro occurs. Yeah, <laughs> my be all that you give. It sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, Rebecca. Heaven. You good? You done? I'm in person. I can throw things at you now. You know that, right? Just finished. I'm okay. The whole thing. Uh, Rebecca appears to be at a coffee shop, one we've seen before, when Ooh. she runs into her brief prior boyfriend from last season, John Wingsnight. What a lovely surprise. Indeed. He is, uh, how would you describe how he greets her? Polite but awkward. Still not fully over her. Hurt still a bit, a bit by their breakup. 
uncomfortable around her, maybe hasn't talked since? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, I've been around a lot of ex-girlfriends. Sure. Um, yeah, I would, I would say a lot. Like, you know. The, dozens, yeah. hundreds, really, actually. You know, Re- Very, very absolutely recent. body count is nightmarish. And if I was doing what John Wayne's like doing here, then I'll tell you, I'm not, A, I'm not over the person. <laughs> yeah. And B, I'm still mad at him. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he seems mad at her. I mean, like, it's a, it's a passive aggressive thing he's doing. It's at least from a place of hurt. Right. And, and I don't think, I think that comes from like him not understanding why she just like bailed on him all of a sudden, which if we go back to last season, from his perspective, that really didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, he's on a couple of dates with her. I know he was a bit of a blowhard, but she didn't give him a lot of it that we saw, a lot of mm-hmm. indications that, she, that it was over. And then she gets, a, you know, hooked up with Sam and boom, it's, it's over. So I can see how he's like a little sharp with her. Yeah. Well, she seems to understand too, right? Because she's, she, she does. I mean, we've seen Rebecca when she gets hit and she's angry. She will hit back. Yeah. She's not hitting back to this guy. No, it's, I think it's also apparent. I don't think the two of them have interacted once since their breakup. No. This, this is new territory for them. For sure. Uh, however, he does have something new information to provide her though. This is Jessica Darling. Uh, his fiance, yes, is on his arm. They also matched on an app months ago and, from what little we see, they seem perfect for each other. Discussing, you know, how they spent their time, sharing bad fish jokes, stories about cuffing and forcing selfies with Anthony Hopkins while seeing Hamilton, which I suppose that's the thing that one can do. Uh, Shout out to John Wings Knight. It seems like he found, he found his partner. He found his perfect partner, yes. Uh, notably, though, in a malapropism, Jessica refers to John as her shite in nining armor. Wait, wait, what did you say? What? No, what did you say? What did you say? Uh... This is, I suppose, a rather on-the-nose way that they could have that prophecy occur. If this is indeed, you know, that prophecy happening, I'm a bit disappointed that it's just that. I don't think it's that. I think I, I'm hoping, just, I'm hoping it's the red herring. I think this is more threads to, to where it's going. I, this can't be what the... I mean, this is such a, a nothing moment. It, if this is it, it's such a nothing moment. It is kind of a lazy way to just have a checkbox do this. I'm with you. I'm hoping it's a red herring that this is just, you know... An example of how prophecy is always something you just assume occurred after the fact and it's being misinterpreted. Not the prophecy actually is anything at all anyway, but, you know, the, within the show, we've talked about Just that. a very fair brain fart from Jessica, who, by the way, went to Oxford for a bit. Some. For yeah, a, bit. a bit, yes. Uh, Rebecca's flabbergasted by this, and with her mostly left speechless, everybody parts. At Keeley's office, Keeley who's, I've got to say, already illustrious bosoms are in rare form today and Whoa. out for the world. Whoa, look out. It is a plunging neckline that she has for the rest of the episode, and I was distracted at times. Forgive me. Okay, that was Spencer who said that. Please write in to mangotalks.com, upper right-hand corner, click contact us. Let us know what you think about Spencer. Hashtag misogynist. Uh, Jack, uh, she, Jack, and Barbara debating strategy for the company, with uh, Keeley and Barbara on different sides. No surprise there. Uh, Keeley's recommending that they stay small, you know, quick, be able to better serve a small number of clients on an intimate basis. Can I point out something? I knew Keeley would be good at this job. Hmm. I thought her strength would be in working with the other celebrities, the one-on-ones with the famous people. Sure. I was not prepared with how good of a in-office CEO she appears to be. Now, she hired Sandy. That was a mistake. Barbara will never let her forgive it. Forget it, as was established. But she's in the office every day, plugging away. She, she works hard. Have, she seems to have a good idea about how to interact with people. She's even broken through and connected with Barbara. She's broken through and connected with Jack. More on that later. Mm-hmm. But she's doing a good job of managing people and doing the in-office stuff. But I, I didn't quite expect that from this character. I'm, I'm very well, happy. That's for a fair point. I, I like that she's at a level where she's even having this kind of strategy discussion of debating what the future and the role of the company is and how they can best 
market what they are as part of you know establishing a line of business. Yeah, there is a fundamental difference of penny though. Where Keeler's recommending the small boutique kind of focus and offering that intimate kind of service to clients. Barbara, who's been worked for this venture venture capital company for a while, is about growth, make money, bigger clients, that kind of immediate progress of, of revenue. It's a legitimate difference in opinion on strategy. It also is a legitimate difference in opinion about what they want in terms of what the company's going to be going forward. Uh, Jack, who notably is almost as distracted by Keely's bosoms as I am in terms of the several class, the glances that she does, more on that later, agrees with Look, Keely on this subject. Rebecca, get, you, I make the joke every episode about how Rebecca looks. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say this. Jack Seems like a worthy partner with Keeley. They're too attractive women. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, because you look, most most people will do that immediate sort of assessment of looks, right? And like, I mean, you, of course, you develop way more than that later, but like immediately, that's what you notice. And I think that they both they casted that character in such a way. I'm not shocked that Keeley found her attractive right away, and vice versa. I also want to give you some credit. This is something that occurred off pod, but I want to give you credit for it. You commented after the last episode that you thought there may have been a bit of a vibe between Keeley and Jack. That there may have been a bit of a connection between them. You pondered whether it might be romantic or whether they're going that direction. It was off pod, but I want to give you full credit for that because clearly that has proven true with this episode. Uh, yeah, I appreciate. It. I wish I had said it on pod, but I did get I get the vibe. And what I was I think I was picking up on is that Jack was treating Keely different. Now, that's probably for a lot of reasons. First off, she's her CEO. Um, she's the money. Maker. More on she's, that later. She's the one who brings the revenue. But I do think she's attracted to her right away. Yeah. And I think we see that proving true throughout this episode. From the word jump, would you agree there's a certain element of flirtation occurring between the two of them? Let me tell you something. I like Roy. You like Roy? I like him. You're going out on a limb here. You I like, like Roy. I like him. I am Team Keely and Jack here. I think these you two... You disloyal motherfucker. I that like, fast. I like the two of them together. I think it's great. I really do. I, I like them together. I hope it's not just a little bump in the road I, for, I think it is. for Roy and Keely. I hope, I hope it's something for them, too. I, I like the both of them, and I think they have a great rapport. It's interesting. I felt I felt a little bit like the blossoming, as it were, of their relationship is maybe coming at a bit the eleventh hour, given when they're in the last season to have a now. If this is an ongoing relationship, have it develop here at this point in the show. But I would agree that the two of them have had an element of chemistry from even the first moment we met Jack last episode. So that it helps it a little bit. We just don't know at this point what the role this relationship will play in the overall arc. Agreed, uh, Jack. Endorses Keeley's plan. Good small boutique strategy. With Keely. Uh, which would you say Barbara practically pouts about? She almost throws a tantrum with respect to this. They have a lot of unrealistic characters in the show. Barbara is a realistic character. In I terms like of her they, reaction I like there. How they write her, yeah, yeah. Because she, you know, she's got like little things about her personality that are kind of like, oh, you can latch onto that. Like maybe there's a shared mystery, but we see what she is as someone trying to not engage personally with other people. And but someone who takes a lot of pride in their professional work. And if you have somebody like that, who does, she probably thinks that she knows way more about how to run this type of business, not necessarily working with the clients, but working run this type of business that Keeley does. And to get overruled like that, I'm, I like the reaction. I think it's a realistic yeah. character. And, and she clearly has quirks, which are entertaining, but she's effectively the straight man in a field of, com- of comic characters. And it, makes, it gives her a fun role. And the fun thing this show does is that even their straight men tell jokes, right? Yeah, they, do. They, they They will flip that seesaw every once in a while. Uh, Barbara walks off, leaving Jack and Keely alone for a minute, something that will happen a lot in this episode. Uh, <laughs> they share some polite banner and already a few notable stares before they are interrupted by Shandy, who I will just summarize is terrible. Ah, yeah, so Barbara 
a character they filled out with context that's realistic right away. I believe that character feels lived lived and breathed in. Shandy might as well be in a comic book. She is a cartoon character. It, I don't. I had hopes that this character would have some element of grounding so that she could actually serve a, a reasonable, if predictable, role in Keeley's development. That's just gone. She's. She, there's no reasonable connection to reality that this character embodies. I, I manage people for a living, and I have hired people I know, not super close friends, but people I know. And I'm glad that they had. They showed Keeley have this struggle. It's a tough thing to do, and most new managers are so excited to be able to like fill their office out and make the decisions themselves. Well, why wouldn't you hire people that you know and you know you like? But it's a it can be a real problem, and it needs to be done deftly. And and she was not remotely prepared for no. bringing on someone like Shandy. And so I I love that they showed the journey. I just don't like the portrayal of the Shandy character. Because she's just cartoonish. Well, she's so unhinged, it's like there's no element of choice going into it. Of course Keeley's going to have to fire her. Of course Keeley's going to have to be gone. And we don't feel any degree of sympathy for either Keeley or Shandy that this has to happen anymore because it's reached a point of, well, this is just, you know, th- this is an unhinged person that's now wandering about. That's such a great point. You're, it's like you do this a lot. Like Occasionally, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's such a great point because it, I feel like it could have been stronger if we had that little sense of doubt that like maybe Keely was doing the wrong thing with Shandy, but the way they had they, they portrayed Candy, it's like a, a slam dunk, and so you don't even have that tension as a viewer. Or even if Keely has a as a shred of data of where she wants to be friends with this person going forward, she hopes that they can still be friends going forward. She has no hopes for being friends with Shandy anymore after this. Therefore, there's no casualty as a result of it. Completely agree. Uh, but Shandy, terrible. She's going to a full fledged tantrum on the subject of being of Keely saying that she was wrong about banter. Uh, Saying that she's now created, well, Lee, what has she created? Or is saying that she's created, what is her new rival to banter? Starfucker. Starfucker. Where you actually can fuck celebrities the way that she was originally marketing banter could be. But it's F U C K R. Of course, yes. You gotta skip the E in there. It's important, yes. Too many articles. Uh, aiming to accomplish the same goal she set out to with banter. Keely again tries to laugh this off, particularly given that Jack is in the room and this is really awkward. Yo. Uh, and just tries to claim that Shandy's just being bad about rejection. But Jack, fair to say more experienced businesswoman than Keely, basically just hones Keely on the point of, no, 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 you're firing her. You, you are so passionate, but I have to let you go. I'm sorry, but I know someone as brilliant as you will land on their feet. Lee, are you firing me? No, 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 no. Keely, I'm sorry. That's what you say when you fire Shandy. It's called a compliment sandwich. Which is a legitimate strategy in terms of going about the firing process. Maybe don't be as quite as blatant about that, but mixing in a bit of the good and the bad helps think, soften the blow. From what I, what I gather of Shandy, I think a compliment sandwich might work for her. It's uh, also become pervasive enough that a lot of people know that you're doing it. That's the issue now, where I almost don't prefer to do the compliment sandwich. I just prefer almost just rip the band-aid and just be professional about you it. Just, you just say fuck the compliment altogether. It's just two two negatives back to back. No, I just said, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. We gotta bang, let bang. you go. No. Just like <laughs> you stink. Make don't come around here no okay. more. No Maybe sandwich. Don't send to abuse. Don't <laughs> directly antagonize the this person. This is a basket of bread. This is not bad a sandwich. <laughs> It's not good bread either. It's Wonder Bread. It's a bunch of bread. <laughs> uh, it, it, it is not great. Respect that she tries to basically put Keely on message that yeah. this character needs to go. But Keely, after being briefly confused, like you said, on the subject of being fired, is not even entertaining the idea. She's not. It, it's clearly not something she's willing to do because Shandy's a friend, and that's it. And she'll hate me. I like that when Keely says she thinks she's killing it, Jack says, oh, I'm sure she does. The worst people often think they're the best. We call it a talent dysmorphia. I like that. Yeah, and I don't, like, uh, the way they've set this up, I, you know, 
they could have portrayed the Sandy character in such a way that I would think Jack is being really harsh here. That would make me dislike her. Mm-hmm. But the way they've done Shandy, I'm like, this is totally warranted. And it doesn't make me dislike Jack, even though these are kind of harsh no, things she's saying. Jack is effectively being a straight man in a comic situation of where she's just recognizing, well, that obviously needs to be gone now. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, Keely, as you said, uh, Jack's really trying to get her on this, but Keely's still resistant, so Jack instead invites her out to lunch, their first date. Though I'm curious, do you think Keely realizes it at this point? No. Uh, no. Uh, do you think Jack has intents on this point? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, in the locker room. But you're not going to get me to say Jack is predatory. You're not going <laughs> to. Okay. I see. I feel like what you're setting up for it, you're not going to get me to say it. But I, we, I think they should. Should we, should we discuss the issue now? Let's wait. But let's I, wait, I, I, let's I, wait I don't. Later. Let's wait until they actually kiss. But I, I, yes, I think, I think there's a distinction. I think, I think she is hopeful and she likes Keely. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't see grooming here um, <laughs> for other employees. You know, like the, the, not, some, not some, to that degree. Sure. Some bosses do. I don't. I don't really see that. Okay. In the locker room, Richmond yeah. players are commenting on pictures that have been posted publicly on the subject of Nate and Anastasia. Whether effectively Nate is living the plot of She's All That, or My Fair Lady, or McMalian options. Danny, who has basically lost any role in the show other than to be kind of dumb, yeah. uh, comments on his love of pigs in response to this. They are cute, but they also have the same intelligence as a human toddler. This is... As someone who doesn't eat pork, this is something I say a lot. I tell people how smart pigs are. So, I am that asshole. <laughs> I don't think that's what Danny's quite going for with respect to this, but yeah, overlap. Whatever, we got to the same place. Indeed. Uh, the conversation instead turns to whether the room thinks that Anastasia is hot. Lee, Anastasia, hot, not? Yeah, I mean, I guess so, but this, this mess she does in the restaurant is really off-putting. That was a bit unattractive, yes. Yeah, it really, really, really clouds my, my judgment there. I mean, yeah, of course, she, she could put it, you could put her on a magazine, I guess, but man, that's, that's a tough... When you just, like, in front of the waitress, mm-hmm. I don't like this place, can we leave? Oh, fuck that. Uh, Zava, though, what's Zava's opinion on the subject? <laughs> my wife, Christina, is the only woman I see with clarity. I, 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 I like that he said with clarity. I do see other women, but yeah, I don't really see them. They are merely smudges in my life. <laughs> uh, apparently, she also looks like exactly like the girl from She's All That, though Zava wouldn't know. He seems to only really enjoy looking at his wife, which the room, as with all things Zava, treats as if it's a very moving kind of statement. Yeah, but it's it, it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why he's telling that lie. With Zava, I don't know. Zava's another character that they don't feel need, really feel they need to ground in reality. No. I felt like we, I, I think, if I have a prediction, Barbara will be here through the end of the season. Okay. Zava's gone. This is Zava's exit he, episode. Because they don't care if he's, they don't care if he's one note. He so served he, his role. Exactly. Yeah. Very much kind of thing. Uh, in Rebecca's office, uh, wait, sorry. I think it's the, I got it. the coaches. On strategy, the coaches are coming to the conclusion that basically no matter what they do with respect to Man City, they're kind of fucked. Like, there's not, there's not really much they can do. I mean, it's even reaching the point that Trent, who is persuaded to chime in through basically National Geographic monkey-related sympathy, uh, with mm. Roy contributing... Mm. <laughs> would you say Roy's contributing great ape noises, given your love of the breed? He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> part of it. He's, he's descended to the silly at this point. It works, though. Trent comes in, offers basically a, an old school strategy to try to get them involved once again. Long ball game, which likewise leads to conclusions that they're still fucked. There's not much they can do. Kick and rush tactic that can be a viable option for an overmatched team against a superior opponent. However, 
uh, against Ban City, they lack the necessary resources to make this work. Ted, meanwhile, is distracted, though, by what we be fair to say is somewhat ambiguously worded news from Michelle on the subject of Henry, who has apparently been sent home from school after bullying. Been sent home from school after bullying. That That is how I'm going to phrase that statement, yes. All right, on this very podcast, this same one, I have dogged Michelle. Dogged her. Yes. Told you I hate her. You did. Little, Come sim- little sympathy here for her. She wasn't super excited to tell Ted that this is what was happening. So it, she, it's an I think the, moment. I think the ambiguous wording was... You think it was intentional on her part? Yeah, because it was probably really hard to write that text. Particularly with Ted. Ted's going to take that like a ton of bricks jumped on him. And she probably just hates it. Yeah, it's an awkward thing to confront in any circumstance. Everything we've seen of Henry is that he's a good kid. And and the fact that he did this... As we will see again. And and to have him do this, I'm sure it sort of broke Michelle's heart. Uh, Ted shares the news. You said, you know, it maybe broke Michelle's heart. How do Beard and Roy react to this news as Ted frames it? If we leave right now and take the connecting flight through Paris, we can be in Kansas by noon, and that punk's house will be in ashes by 12.30. No, no. Best thing you can do with bullies is ignore them. Then you sneak into the house at four, which, statistically speaking, is how people are at least prepared to defend themselves. True, yes. Unless you're yeah. And once you're standing over them, as they sleep in their bed, you start to beat them, pummeling them over and over till they're awake, confusing the paint for their own blood. When they beg you to stop, you laugh as loud as you can for as long as you can. And then you start to beat them again. This speech was epic. I was as entranced as everybody else in the room was with a certain measure of horror. Well, it's such a great thing, right? Well, first off, it's like a different kind of funny that they're doing yes. here. Which I appreciate when they go outside the normal lanes. And as he's going, you can tell he has the room. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we all want to get him. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, beat them again, beat them again, too beat far, them again. Too far, too far, too far, too far. And then by the time he's done, everybody's like... Where do I where do I look? What do I do with my hands? What do I do? I'm so I'm so uncomfortable right now. There there was a conscious thought going through all the characters of what do I need to do to get out of this conversation without getting hit with the paint soaked rope? You do not fuck with Roy. Ah, so Roy basically reveals himself to be a psychopath. <laughs> Ted decides he's going to wait to get more details before he picks what strategy he's going to go forward with. But you know, thanks them all for their efforts. In Rebecca's office, Higgins awkwardly. Higgy bottoms awkwardly comes in with excessive formality to present that maybe, sort of, possibly, in the realm of future consideration, they should ponder firing Ted. Look, I like Ted. Higgy Bottoms is right. It's one of the things of where... I'm not saying fire him right now, it, and he's not saying that, but it, we need to start thinking that maybe he's a problem. Yeah, I think even Higgins has acknowledged that they're premature, it would be a premature decision now. They're still ninth in the league, but there's a worrying trend, and there's no clear strategy they seem to get out of that. And I think he's at least acknowledging, though Rebecca does not want to accept this, Ted's checked out. I mean, this is exa- I mean, this is such a great parallel to what happened with UNC basketball last season. I mm-hmm. know most of our listeners don't listen to UNC basketball or, or follow UNC basketball. It's collegiate basketball in America. But the team did extraordinarily well the year before. They overperformed with a group of p- players that people didn't think were talented enough to do what they were going to do. And they did it. And everybody thought, oh, man, this, like, all shucks, great, super nice. Mm-hmm. I connect with the players. I'm their buddy, Coach Hubert Davis. That's exactly what we need. And then this year, they all underperform. Hubert seems disconnected. He's not willing to hold them to account. He's not willing to be critical. He continues playing the same players instead of benching guys who are underperforming. Mm. It's all the same stuff Ted is doing. And people were so reticent to place the blame on Hubert because he's such a nice guy. And I think that's what we're experiencing here is that like Rebecca 
if this is any other fucking coach, she'd be like, yeah, let's let's get him on. Let's let's pull him in. Let's let's get him on some sort of performance plan. Let's set some accountability goals. Mm-hmm. Not willing to discuss it with Ted to the point it like visibly dis- de- distresses her, depresses her that Higgins has even brought this up. It's not in a realm she's willing to ponder. If for other reason, as you said, he's a great guy. They're also friends. It's just something she's clearly not had before. Give well, Leslie, this is too bleak for me at the moment. Therefore, I am granting my perso- myself permission to change the subject. To, and what does she change the subject to, sir? Two of the psychics. Uh, if, you had, if you had to have bet money, would you have bet money that Higgins is totally into psychics and believes Yes, 100%. The whimsy, the whimsy, the whimsical nature. Loves the whimsy. He's very clear about it. What about you? Believe psychics? Uh, personally, no. Totally would have believed that Higgins did, though. Yeah, I don't either. However, as a, as a professional wrestling fan, Respect the carny and respect the hustle. Shout out so to the psychics. Yes. These are skilled people at a craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, Higgins, of course, ended up even claimed his family history having an aunt that apparently predicted the number and gender of his many kids. Whew. All five boys. Rebecca reveals that she went to a psychic and thinks that certain things from her prophecies, the first two perhaps, have started to come true. Higgins is all in whimsical about this, suggesting that the universe is full of all kinds of things that we don't understand. Which apparently to him includes fingernails, which I thought fingernails are pretty straightforward. What their role is, there are claws. couldn't disagree more with what you're saying here. I have had multiple moments, not drunk or high, where I've looked at my fingernails and thought, it's fucking bizarre that these things keep growing. Like, where does, where does the material to create these things come from? There are claws. They have a purpose. What, what, uh, I'm, sure they have, I'm sure, but how is, our, how is our body constantly making these things? And Same why do, way we make hair. Why do they grow at different rates? Why does my thumbnail grow more than my fingernails? Why does my pinky nail grow the fastest? I don't understand these things. It's complicated. Okay, we've now confirmed that Lee and Higgins, fingernails. How are, what are they? How do they work? A real mindfuck. I'd suggest, though, that whether... Psychics or quacks or not really doesn't matter. The psychics help us to see something in ourselves that we can't quite see ourselves. See, that's the part that I respect because okay. it, it, that you don't have to be connecting to the spiritual to do that for someone. Like, it's it's a it's an it's a skill they have when they meet someone. They pick up details. They figure out in the way they talk what's important to them, and they're able to present to them things that might be helpful later. So for you, it's really more of a measure of mercurial, mercurial intent. If they're here to bilk you, you got a problem. If they're just here to put on a pleasant show, all part of the fun. If they have a 70-year-old widow who just oh, lost God, husband yeah, and is saying, sure. I will connect you to your husband and is, and is charging $4,000 an hour. Fuck that noise. Fuck that noise. But if it's in three hours when we're walking down Bourbon Street, if I take you into a psychic, which I've been taking you into all kinds of shit you don't want to do, and, and sit down and, and it's a it's in it's entertaining, it's enjoyable, and they maybe poke at a couple of things that make you a little uncomfortable that you think about later, gotta respect the hustle. But Rebecca seems to respect this kind of framing around it. Her Higgins's whimsy has caught her up too. I'm still rolling my eyes at it a little bit. But clearly, she's kind of warmed by this way of looking at what role psychics can play in your life. Fingernails. And, and so weird. Well, she's motivated to look into the third prophecy. You're going to ponder fingernails for the rest of all creation. Uh, at the West Ham office, though, Nate, who, as we've said, is basically indistinguishable from Nate of, like, you know, when he first got a coaching job with Richmond. It's strange, this episode. Uh, he received... And that is something, I, you know, I often ask our, our listeners to tell us what they think. And I love interacting with you all on on Facebook and Twitter and whenever you, you send your messages. I always really appreciate it. I'd love to hear if you agree with our... Because I feel like Spencer and I are so lockstep about this Nathan yeah. face turn, about Nathan Please now tell being us, okay. Curious. Did you all feel the same way, or does this feel like... Not, does, it feel, does it feel like the same character? Or, if it doesn't feel like the same character, do you feel like it's been a natural turn back to good? 
I mean, one of the things that helps a little is, again, the actor is just very skilled at portraying this character and very skilled at making him sympathetic. It's something that he does expertly with respect to the role. That helps. He, it just He's working uphill with respect to this kind of writing. Okay, I'd like to hand out an Emmy for Best Stutterer. Oh, good call. And, and I've good got, call. I've got, I've got all the nominees down to two. Gone? You got the guy who plays Nathan Shelley on TED, mm-hmm. and you have the guy who plays Greg on Succession. You fucker. Two of the best world-class stutterers I've ever Can seen. Can they share it, please? Wonder- yeah, let's put the Emmy. Wonderful stutterers. And Rupert's assistant's coming in and presents him with a note, which is Anastasia's number, because Nate was apparently... He, he deemed it too forward to have asked her the first night that he met her for what her number is. That is not why he didn't ask her. What was the reason he didn't ask her, sir? He didn't have the confidence to do it. That was definitely an aspect of it. I don't... I'm curious... Here's a question I have. I assumed in the last episode that in many ways Anastasia was purposefully set up, perhaps even contracted, forgive me, uh, to be Nate's date. You're running a lot of trouble this episode. Do you, I mean, do you, did you get any feel for that in that regard, or whether, or what, to what degree is this is, is this uh, relationship they have set up by Rupert and his assistant? It felt like Anastasia was told by Rupert it'd be a, a good, it'd be a favor to me mm-hmm. if you would, you know, hang out with this guy a little while. And Rupert, you know, if you're in that business, if you're an aspiring model... Who Doing lives, him a favor is a good thing. Yeah, who lives in that world of the upper crust of London, it's probably really good to fucking have this guy on your side. So, I, you know, I don't blame Anastasia. I do blame her for being rude at the, at the, we'll, at the dinner, we'll dinner get, later. We'll, we'll get there shortly. But I, I get why she's doing it. Uh, Nate takes the number and promptly appears to dial it and invite Anastasia out for a drink. Hmm. Only for it to be revealed to be a practice call to his mom, who provides him a couple of helpful tents about pre- tips about presentation when he actually makes the call here in the future. Love the relationship between Nate and his mom. Love, this, it. Love it. Again, I'm, I'm complaining a bit that it doesn't feel very organic for how they've been just kind of whiplashing back and forth with the different Nate characters. I will also say that this was a really cute scene. I, love, I just love that he's that close to his mom. I think it's great. I'm close with my mom. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. In the hallways of Richmond... Ted, this isn't. We've talked before about scenes that didn't feel necessary. This scene between Ted and Rebecca did not feel necessary in my mind. Uh, uh, I think that the point of it is that they know that the concept of criticizing Ted is very hard for the audience to take in and to accept, and so they had to give us some scenes where Ted was flatly in the wrong. And this is one of them where oh, know, give good point. But where where you know it's it's just abundantly clear that Ted needs to be taking her concerns more seriously than he is. Let's focus on that aspect of it. So Ted and Rebecca, they're walking the halls, kind of sleepwalking past each other, with one another focused on bullying, the other one on psychics, and they briefly run into each other. Of where Ted kind of jumps on Rebecca's words and says for her, "I know you're sorry about how you treated me earlier," something along those lines, which, which I think is out of line. I think it was very out of line. I mean, you can, you can comment on Rebecca's, you know, volume, as Ted did. It's perfectly reasonable to call out the fact that he's not really doing his damn job right now. Don't get too comfortable, Ted. She's still, she still owns the team. She's still your boss, and you're not doing a good job right now. Like, I mean, I wish he's Ted, too comfortable. I wish we get some indication Ted has a, bit, a little bit better perspective on the fact that he hasn't been, it, it hasn't been working for him. He hasn't been into it lately. Something that he's been off his game to at least some degree. Because this kind of line suggests that... I don't think he necessarily sees that anything's been doing wrong on his on his behalf. I have a little bit of hope at the final scene of this episode. A little bit of hope. Perhaps. It's a way of interpreting we'll see, it. Yeah, we'll see. And Keeley's office, though. Hi, Miss Jones. You enjoy your lunch with Jack? Mm. It, it does appear that the two of them enjoyed their lunch together. However, Barbara is here to let Keeley know that Shandy has been doing things. Specifically... Things that have been immediately damaging the company and, you know, their client relationships, like 
drunk dialing one of their lead clients that uh, makes sunglasses on the subject of additional sex products that they could alternatively be making at 4 a.m. at night. Someone in that writer's room is a real drinker. Yeah. Is a real drinker because they understood that like if you, if all right, we built the joke that she's calling them at 4 a.m. with some really bad idea and it isn't somebody who is perpetually drunk, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Mixing caffeine and alcohol is what gives you that really, really <laughs> oh, terrible reaction. The old four loco experience. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? Like for people who 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 are moderate drinkers, if they have a night where they're like, "Yeah, I'll do caffeine and alcohol in equal portions all night," that's when it's like five in the morning and they've done a mil- they've bought like a bunch of Bitcoin and like they don't know what the fuck happened the <laughs> night before. They try to figure out if they get back out of the sale. That's the type of shit that mm. happens on caffeine and alcohol. Uh, well, Barbara's less than amused. Uh, by this because the client has fucking fired them right now from this having happened which leads her to basically tell Keely without so much the words Keely it's time to employ Jack's strategy and fix this it is time uh, Keely tries to call uh, Shandy into Shandy. the office uh, Shandy being terrible basically just says no until Keely makes her come into the office yeah she sucks uh, to which I would say she Keely tries to deliver some version of the compliment sand- sandwich to Shandy. Mm-hmm. How well does it go, sir? Well, I mean, I, I, I just by the nature of my job and my work history, I, I have a lot of sympathy for for Keely here. Absolutely. But she's not doing a good job of communicating firmly what the message is. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to give constructive feedback to an employee or you're going to terminate them, like you need to be very clear and direct about what you're saying mm-hmm. because people don't like to hear that they're they've messed something up or that they're they're somehow deficient in some way sure so they'll read any little thing into it to spin it as a positive if you possibly can so you have to be really firm i get why she's not i'm sympathetic for it's, that it's hard but she's not uh it leads to just a straight up blow up from from shandy who delivers some version of basically like a jerry mcguire walk away speech uh attempting to tell off the room while simultaneously begging to stay in equal measure barbara you're with me i couldn't be like <laughs> i like that reaction couldn't be less so with you you must understand my role in this show madam <laughs> uh tries to rally each individual person to her side dan is briefly in but is then immediately out uh, and having fully told off the room, having failed to rally anyone to her cause, she heads off. Even after running for, you know, seventh grade class president and being like, oh, yeah. and then we're going to have cake in every classroom yeah, and we're going to fire all the teachers I don't like and we'll all get money. It's like, she's just like making shit up. I'll pay you double. We'll get a massage table and all that, whatever. I, I don't picture us seeing Shandy again on the show. Please, no. I'm not going to miss her or, sadly, this plot line. I think this plot line could have been something we quite liked for the season. It's ended up just kind of being frustrating. They had to have some sort of conflict or difficulty for Keeley to get her closer with Jack. And yes. This is what they came up with. It's a means to an end. It feels clumsy. Yeah, they're, getting, they're just getting her toward the ultimate relationship she's going to have for the rest of the series, mm. which is the true love that is her and Jack. You are in. You are shipping. All in. Two feet. Uh, the damage I did to you by introducing you to the concept of shipping. I just, I, you've never been the same. Man, these two shipped. <laughs> shipped. Uh, Re- Rebecca, meanwhile, is checking on the potential merits of the third prophecy. Now, I gotta tell you, this whole, this whole thing of her with the, going to the doctor and the kid and the, uh, uh, Ted Lasso doesn't make me cry that much, but this, this really had me nasty. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't even, I'll be like weird talking about it because it just feels so... 
I just hate the idea that like women get to a certain point where they still want to have a kid but their body is failing them and they can't. Like it's just so fundamentally tragic that like portraying that even on such a silly show is emotionally affecting. One of the things that makes this plot particularly works, we talked about the show at times is a little bit, it tonally struggles between wanting to be a silly comedy but also having dramatic scenes like this. One of the things that massively helps scenes like this, the actress who plays Rebecca can sell it. She can live in both worlds. She lived both worlds quite well, particularly with respect to these drama scenes right here of where there's a scene coming up of where we just get to see her reaction to one side of a phone call and it's rending. Yep. Uh, she's checking in with apparently a friend. I, Dr. Wagner, I don't know if she's met with him previously, but she it seems like she's friends with him maybe outside of his role as a doctor. because they, they're, they're, they have a rapport with each other. She's coming to his office, meeting with a reproductive specialist, looking, as you said, to find out whether she can still have kids, whether the third prophecy can be literally Now, we think she's true. like 50, right? Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah I, think okay. the, I think the actress is like 45 or 46, but they're, pl- they're playing her up like five or ten years. Uh, she, and what is the sad moment, she's filling out the forms to even meet with him, and she gets to the question of who her immediate emergency contact is, mm. and she struggles to fill anything she's in. She's 48, the actress. 48, gotcha. Well, Waddington. I think they're playing the character a few years right. older than that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, she struggles even to think of what her emergency contact would be. That's the level of loneliness she has in this world. I thought what that was, was she would normally put Ted, but she's scared to put him because of the conversation. Yeah, that's an interesting thought right there. That's an interesting thought again about the dangers of about, you know, mixing friendship and business. Yeah, I think that's, I thought that's, that's my, that was my read on it. That's, I, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. It's, it's quite clever. Uh, he, uh, she meets in with Dr. Wagner and while he's not making any promises, A, is a big Richmond fan, B, seems quite friendly with her, and C, says that he has helped many women in her position before. Even some older, which really makes her happy. Yeah, that there is a chance. He can't promise anything. He's a responsible doctor, but they'll do some tests. They'll put together what options are available. We will meet. We'll do what we can. She seems outright uplifted by this news. Can I tell you something about me that I need to work on? Go on. So when I go to a doctor, this is pretty common, right? The doctor will, first off, they'll do a couple of things like blood pressure. And stuff. But then, <laughs> yep. the, then the doctor will, yeah, you don't even know. You go to a doctor? Yeah, wow. Let me explain to you how this process works. Uh, I was still a barber. That was the last time I went to a doctor. They get the back, the, yeah. <laughs> Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Indeed, yes. Uh, they get the information from the forms or whatever. And the nurse will talk to you and give you like blood pressure. Then you talk to the doctor for a little while. And then this handoff to their, their techs to do things like blood work or whatever mm-hmm. happens. That's normal. It's common. That's It's even happening for Rebecca here. She's a fucking billionaire or whatever. Sure. I still get offended every time I get the handoff from the doctor. <laughs> every time I'm like, I'm here to be with you. What the fuck? Like, I, I'm not worthy of your time. You're going to hand me off to somebody? Well, I, I need to work on that. I haven't had a doctor go through my test results for more than years. It's every time now they just post them on the online platform. That's just how they do the interactions now. Well, you're just doing standard blood work, right? Pretty much usually. Yeah, I think if you had a particular question you were after, hopefully they talk to you. I, I mm, hope so. I hope varied. so. Uh, that's it. Rebecca seems remarkably energized by just kind of the potential that comes from this news. Richmond, this team is working out though with Isaac being the dad of the room, setting clear limits on what video games they can play after when it gets late at night. Animal Crossing, that shit is smooth. Animal Crossing is incredibly addictive. Incredibly addictive. So soupy. Uh, Sam tries to buck up the room, which they're not having it. Even even when Jan Mas tries to ju- jump in, the rest of the team's already there. It's like, don't need to say anything. Sam, no we're not. We have no chance. We're fucked. I love Sam. Yeah. Um, 
not the leader of the locker room. God, he's not even the emotional leader with lines like that. It's like, Sam, read the room. That kind of just cheery sunshine is not going to resonate right now. Uh, Jamie, though, doesn't want to hear it either. He tries to rally the room, tells them that, honestly, who cares that Man City's great? I get a kick out of his accent. Negativity. It's great. It's, it's what we do. It's okay. Like, he has a really strange way of saying He, like, gives up on words and stuff. It's really funny. I haven't actually seen the actor outside of this role. Do you think he has the same accent? Do you think I, all the snacks he's putting on? Dude, if he's putting it on, it's brilliant. Because it, it, it's, it's like... done great. It's really funny. Uh, he says that they need to stop being a bunch of little fucking bunny rabbits and fucking do this. Let me do this, okay? Uh, Zava gets behind this. And I would say <clears throat> somewhat co-ops it, maybe? It's as if you were Zava. If you're Zava. Uh, tells them that, you know, gives them basically just a very f- almost philosophical treatise on the importance, on the subjects of overcoming via teamwork. Jamie notes that he's saying the exact same fucking thing that Jamie was saying a half second ago, but Zava has now said it, and the room, particularly Danny, is over the moon to have his guidance upon them. For sure. I don't think Jamie is, but... Um... Uh, Jamie's just frustrated. He's, he's, not, he's just not drinking the Kool-Aid. He's never been drinking the Kool-Aid. He doesn't understand why everyone else is just loving this Kool-Aid. Yeah, wasn't in leadership. I mean, Jamie was trying to have a moment there. Zava didn't need to co-opt that. No. Zava could have just merely said, Jamie's right. Let's do this. Yep. Just something off that. Exactly. He does it in a Zava way where he at least acknowledges Jamie, but then makes it his own. Uh, Ted, meanwhile, has finally gotten in touch with Michelle on the subject of Henry. He asks how Henry's doing, and Henry's apparently in the park based on Dr. Jacob's advice that he go out and get some fresh air. Did oh, you notice how oh, Ted reacted yeah, to that news? Yeah, oh, no, uh, uh, yeah, 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 smart, yeah, smart, yeah. Did you notice, there's another thing too, did you notice what he was about to drink versus what he drank after he got the news? No, tell me. He was filling a glass of water, then he heard Dr. Jacob's name, and he put the glass of water down and grabbed the booze. Interesting. Immediately. Interesting, he was drinking in his office? Uh, this, I think he was back at home. Oh, okay, alright. Uh... Ted, who said, yeah. Uh, Ted talks about telling the other coaches about Henry was being bullied and how how stressed out he was today. And Michelle makes the reveal. Henry was not bullied. Henry was the bully today. Uh, How would you describe Ted's reaction to that news? The face sinks. um, Terribly disappointed. I mean, mean, can you imagine someone like Ted hearing that his son bullied someone? I mean, that's, that's like the... That is an awful thing from Ted's perspective. I mean, Ted would see that as a personal failing. He would see, I think he does see that in some ways as a personal failing. And that's why Beard goes right to, you didn't fail. You're a good dad. Like, he he knows where that's going to hit Ted. Yeah, we're going to get there in a second for that, yeah. Uh, Keeley's office, Dan, who is growing on me. I'd say he's the only of the three employees other than Barbara that has any character whatsoever. Yeah. He tries to make a joke. I quit. And he smiled. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, no, not really. Unless you want me to be. No, no. I'd, I'd love to see you tomorrow. Come on in. Yeah. I'd love the beaming smile on his face after he does this. It's even like I made my first joke of my career and it was great. And, and then I, he walks and, off. And Keely's so fundamentally kind with people that she just gives him that, like, she, good, she didn't care about the joke. Good on you. Finger she probably guns. didn't like it because the thing with Shandy was stressful to her, but she just goes, okay, good, all right, see ya. She, yeah. She's encouraging him. She wants more of this. Yeah, sure. She's just, she's good with people. Hey, Dan, the fun employee of the office. Dan, fun guy. Absolutely. Uh, Keely invites Jack and or Barbara to go to the Richmond game tonight. Maybe Jack primarily, but also possibly Barbara, but mostly Jack. Uh, Barbara would only be there if there was guaranteed to be as much violence as last time because she's that's what she's in the sport for. Barbara? Hockey fan, maybe. Barbara might like hockey. 
probably probably rent some UFCs on the slot. Oh late god, night. just straight up late at night, like two two. What it, what would it be over there? Like about two p.m. Something like that. Mid, yeah. Midday in her office watching UFC. Oh, fight. that's the trick. That's a, that's why she doesn't want anybody to go through her desk. She's got the access code for the UFC, UFC fights that she watches it from her desk during the day. That's what it is. Maybe she's got like a model belt, like she wears the little. Oh fake, god, fake she dresses up to watch the UFC matches. <laughs> I like what we've done with this character. Yeah. this works well. Big UFC fan. Uh, she is not as interested. Jack is more interested, though, though she first needs to um, send some emails, so she asked to borrow Barbara's office. As we just joked, Barbara's perfectly okay with this, but don't go through her drawers. But no, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, but don't go through my drawers. Totally going through her drawers. Uh, absolutely going through her drawers. Totally. If it's not a UFC belt, do you have an assumption of what's in the freaking drawers? She probably hid the snow gloves when Jack came. Oh, that'd be sad. That that is probably true, and that she be probably really doesn't sad. want doesn't doesn't want to send that message to Jack that she's unhappy with being bounced around or whatever. Man, you just turned something fun into something kind of tragic and depressing. I, you do this. I've done that on multiple pods lately. <laughs> You're very successful at this. I'm sad now. You son of a bitch. Damn it! All right, I'm quitting the pod. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Bye. Doors right there. Uh, at the game. Uh, the fans. Zava, Zava, Zava. If you had to do percentages, what percent are just here for Zava now, emotionally? Yeah, uh, that's hard to say, right? Because there's so many like people that what, what, how the fans have been portrayed to us. To me, seems like they have a bunch of people who will always go to the games, ride or die. Exactly, and they probably are going to like three quarters of the stadium going to be filled no matter what. Mm-hmm. But the emotion, I like how you put that emotionally in there. If it's a, if you're saying they're there emotionally for Zava, maybe ninety five percent. It, it's gotten bad. They're basically Zaba fans, even if they're wearing Richmond gear, which is not really a good... It, it can sell you a lot of jerseys. It's not necessarily the best for the team, as we see here. Peel them, slice them, cut them, mash them, cheer into your voice blades, eat them, outclass himself. I, I love that addition. He's going through the room, gets the same, it's like, you be you. Outclass himself. It's like you. Ray of sunshine that you are. Uh, Zaba, though... Not there to accept Uh-oh. Roy's encouragement. I would, I would be really curious to see if Roy, if Roy had tried to do that to Zava when he was going through the room. Yeah, it would probably be something like just, just do you, do you, do, 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 do. kick ass. <laughs> uh, Ted, though, is more interested in the subject of his record streak of avoiding peeing on himself and also his concerns about Henry. <laughs> As you said, uh, Beard, very proud of him on the subject of not peeing on himself, also reassuring on the subject of Henry because Henry will be fine. Always, because he has Ted as a dad, which is a, a wonderful thing to say to a friend on the, this kind of moment. Especially when you, yeah, when you know that Ted's going to be taking it very personally, what happened. Uh, Ted obviously appreciates it, and Roy, though, comes in to note that they have a bit of a Zava problem, which you, would be fair to say. I would say it's a problem when the guy didn't show up to a game. Yeah. This is another thing to trust, but we talked before about this, this, the show doesn't really believe in the concept of contracts. Uh, that there's no such thing as breach of contract or any repercussions with respect to it. Zava just retiring mid-season would have contractual problems. There would be you know issues with respect to this. Presuming that he ultimately did sign a contract with more than you're welcome. So I don't I don't think it would actually because he's retiring. So they all every every sports contract allows you, every sports contract allows you to retire. I mean, they can't they, they they wouldn't build something in where you're not allowed to retire. They can at least potentially cut the <laughs> cut the salary you were going to receive or any bonuses you were got, got with respect. To he it. probably is, is foregoing a salary once you retire. He's probably done for the season. Like he, it's a, like typically it's like almost like a termination for convenience provision mm. where you you retire. Okay, we can terminate the contract. He, he's not going to be paid. 
Well, obviously can, not can, that, but, yeah. But he can walk away for he sure. Would, if, like, for example, he provides some measure of incentives to like play for the whole season and he retires midway through the season, they could potentially forfeit those terms. But we have, I don't actually know what the terms of his employment were with respect to that. And there, I, I, there's probably a non-compete, right? Like, if he's yes. going to retire, he can't play for another club for two years or something. Can't join the Wizards. Can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah, well, that was after two years. That was after. That's how he got out of it. That was way too long after two years, yes. Uh, uh, in Keeley's office, Shandy has somehow... Snuck. Is this the same day? Shandy somehow snuck back in the same day with the lamb? Yeah. It's just closing time. What are they doing? How because did she get it? It's we a know tiny it's the office. Same, we know it's the same day because Dan told the joke. He went oh, the joke right, three yeah. days later, right? How did she get in? The office is the size of an overgrown cubicle. Well, it's a good reminder to terminate her security badge. That is a very good reminder to do that because she somehow deposited a freaking lamb in one of the office rooms that has done as a baby lamb does and defecated everywhere with what we've previously heard is noxious lamb poop. Let to see the positive, Keely. All right, well, that does remind me I have something to do. Uh, yeah, clean up the lamb poop and also deactivate the security badge. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, is decided to bring Anastasia to his favorite pub. I think it's Taste of Athens. Is that the name of the pub, right? Taste of Athens. Uh... Uh, the one with Jade notably at the front. I'm not. I'm curious to hear from you. Him bringing Anastasia to this pub. I suspect there's multiple reasons at play. But if you had to put it on balance, what percent is I'm taking her here because it's my favorite place and it means a lot to me, versus what percent is I kind of want to make Jade jealous? It's way more. I kind of want to make Jade jealous. I mean. Nate, like 70, 30, 80, 20? It might even be like 95, 5. I mean, I feel like he, Jade has always been the person he's interested in, right? Sure. Like, even They're when. seasons now. Even when he got the number for Anastasia, he didn't seem like excited. Mm. He wasn't like, oh, God, I've been, oh, man, I was like killing myself about not asking and I was stressing about, like, like you would do if you were really into somebody. To him, it seemed like, oh, oh, that, who? You know, like that kind of deal. He's been into Jade this entire time. This is his white whale. Let's go to the reference from the show. This, yes. is, this is his white whale. This is who he wants. And I, I like to see that there's a little progress there. Uh, and we do get to see progress here. Uh, Jade is what appears on the surface to be her usual indifferent, bordering this time on rude self. Um, That's because, I'm, I'm telling you my Jade, my Jade theory, I think all these interactions with Nate is, and women do this with men, God bless them for, for that, and I'm sure I'm sure it happens in, in non-hetero relationships too, but I see it a lot in hetero relationships. Women That's what we know best. Trying to get you back between the lines, like when the when the oh man, you're you're working too much, or you're too into your ego, or you're spending too much money, or you're this or you're that, or whatever the thing is that makes you unattractive to them. Mm. They're trying to pull you back in the line, and I feel like Jade is like kind of trying to knock him down a peg because this massive ego is not attractive to her. This aspect aspect of being judgy to try to improve him. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Nate is showing off his, you know, girlfriend that he brought to the event. Isn't she cute? And mm. asks whether they can have his illustrious, always desired window table. Nay, does not ask. Uh, says I've already talked to Derek. Uh, that's true. Jade she says, "Jade, dear, I'll take that one." He, he, he's showing off a little bit. He's dropping some bling with this. He is, and that's why, I like Jade being a little rude, I was like, "Yeah, that's fucking warranted." He's Respond, responding to what he's giving Respond her. Respond in kind. Okay. Derek is just excited, of course, just to have Nate in the room. Nate and Jelly, the wonder kid. Uh, I'd also say he's a little bit just excited to have Anastasia in the room, given I the words that he offers. I would say, slap me around the face. Am I dreaming? Uh, apparently he's a huge fan of, bo- of not uh, both her face and her body, which is a hell of a thing to say to somebody that comes into your restaurant. Uh, Anastasia is less than enthused about the place, but... It's not very nice in here. 
Nate, I'd say, tries to encourage her, noting that the baklava is divine. And then Jade laughs. I, that was cute. Trying to cover her face <laughs> at this bullshit that he just said. I, I, can't, I couldn't tell whether she's laughing at him being silly or actually is a little bit charmed by this. I think almost a certain measure of the both, but we'll see later. I feel like this is something you'll appreciate. Yeah. Like, isn't it kind of cool that, like, because clearly Nate and Jade are going to get together. Isn't it kind of cool that one of the starts of their relationship is over a mediocre restaurant that they both like to go to? I love those moments. I kind of think that's cool. Some some of my favorite moments in, in my relationship have been those moments of it was not a great day, but we were together and we had we, made, we had fun with it. Yeah, like they they're bonding over the fact that they both love this restaurant, even though the food's not great, even though the decor's not great. It's not the best part of town. We heard that last yeah. season. But they still bond over the fact that they're just going to keep going to this restaurant. Okay. And they'll always have, I guess they'll always kind of have that place. And that's the cool, I think it's a cool start for relationship. But one, one for me is like, first, first year I was dating Bridget, we were going to go hang gliding together because we're insane. This has often been talked about. I uh, do not approve. Uh, and we arrived at the venue and then there was the worst hailstorm on record in the county happened the moment we arrived. <laughs> So we had to get trapped in our car, unable to move, because we couldn't see the hail was coming down so hard. This is this is the universe saying, you two will talk. <laughs> we will talk in this car and, and not do a death-defying stunt. here and talk to each other. So we, we just talked for like two hours before the storm cleared, and it was a, it's a magical moment we still talk about for how lovely it was between us. Can you imagine, like, let's say these two go on to get married. The baklava jokes they'll tell for the next 30 years? Years to come. It's no like, one will understand. It's, but pretty, just the, it's pretty cool. Yeah. We'll have Look at us liking Nate again. Fuck this show. It's effective in this regard. We're judging it in terms of a longer perspective. In episode, Nate is at his most charming. I'll tell you this. I've never been against Jade giving Nate the time, the of, time day. of day. Yes. I am. Um, I do think Nate has some apology tours to do with, with AFC Richmond. Yeah. And Ted in particular. Yes. If the, if the show does not address Nate leaking that information about Ted, I will riot. I feel like they're not going to address it because it's too bad. Is this more or less than the guys last season protesting a particular sponsor for AFC Richmond and nothing ever coming to that? Would it be worse or better? There's no difference in my mind. There's just objectionable. Both of these really bad? I only know how to rant at one level. Okay. All right. Two tens is what that is. (laughs) At the Richmond game, Colin is subbing in for Zava, which... Where is Zava? It earns the profound disappointment of the crowd and the growing anger of the coaches that Zava has offered not even words to explain where the hell he is. Nor has his agent, manager, publicist, trainer, acupuncturist, acupuncturist, a fecalist, an avocado whisperer, or even his barber. Even the barber doesn't have information. He's off the reservation right now. Uh, Jack and Keeley, uh, actually, during the process of this, cleaned up the varieties of lamb lamb shit. Would you do that? Would you clean up the lamb lamb shit, or would you call a professional company for that right now? Would you have personally rolled up your sleeves and gotten into the lamb shit to clean up your office? I'd have done it. You would have done it? Yeah. Not not on your life would I have touched that. Well, we're, we're at two different parts in our career, but I, uh, I, yeah, I would have felt like I, I probably could have called somebody if it was one of my company's buildings, but I would have done it. Yeah. Done it. If anything, I probably would have done like an initial cleanup. I still would have called a professional company because I wouldn't have counted myself to get it. Well, I, I hope they did that. I, I hope, yeah. I hope they, said, they, they scheduled a deep clean with whatever janitorial service please, they have. Yes. Yeah. They cleaned it up. They brought the handler for the land back. They've encouraged him to not trust Shandy again, regardless of how many you know. Dates with celebrities that they offer him to get this lamb where she needs to be. Uh, where the lamb needs to be. Where Shandy needs the lamb to be. That's where, that's where I wanted to go. Now someone, now it smells like someone took a dump directly into a pumpkin spice latte <laughs> when they start like candles. Massive improvement. Uh, you know, we talked about little cute moments with Nate and, um, Nate and Jade. We get a lot between it, Keely and... This is kind of something they could always go back to. Remember that time, our first date, when we cleaned up fucking lamb shit? 
whenever they do the seasonal pumpkin spice lattes at, at you know at Starbucks There's or whatever the else, they're gonna laugh their asses off. That's pretty good, I think. Uh, enjoying this laugh, they decide to share a drink with Shandy's workplace vodka because, of course, Shandy has workplace vodka. Where'd she had that. Uh, she has a desk. There's a place for it. Yeah, on the counter. Yep, right. Just oh, that's counter. right. Yes, right. There's an answer in text. Right on the counter. And I love when she says that. Because, you know, Jack, she's reasonable. She goes, well, where did she hide it? And he goes, oh, just on the desk. And Jack just goes, yeah. Like, it was a very much, she didn't say the words, but it was like a, yeah, well, we needed to fire her. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it took you this long, actually, to see you needed to do this? Shandy's work vodka. You know, if I still drink. And I had a bottle of vodka in my house. I would I would peel the label off and put Shandy's work vodka. <laughs> it's the name. Now you're just gonna refill that bottle. If you're a drinker and you have vodka in your house, you look to lasso. It's your Shandy's you really need vodka. to do that. <laughs> uh, they enjoy the just warm vodka, just straight up downing it straight out of the bottle. Skull. Yep. Uh, and the flirting, I'd say at this point, moves beyond just sheerly implication. Yeah, I mean, because like when Keely's like, well, you want a mixer and ice, I mean, that's the type of thing you say like when you're trying to impress somebody, which, mm. you know, still, from Keely's perspective, she wants to impress her boss. She does. But then she goes, um, the boss says, Keely, you're adorable. Mm. And that's, I, I just would never say that to one of my employees. Like, that, I would, not that language. I might say something like, you're funny, yeah. or that's funny, but the, or you're adorable, I, I don't know. I just don't. It has it. connotations. And then she says she chugged warm vodka for breakfast at her prestigious boarding school in Denmark. Shout out. Skull. Party skull. Uh, at Taste of Athens, Anastasia is uh, feeling increasingly out of place, maybe if I should put it a little bit charitably, and basically just ask Nate, can we please leave? Yeah, can we leave? Nate, though, tries to defend the place, noting that it is an important place to him and his family for years. That, you know, it's a, this being important to him, he wants her to be a part of it. He wants her to be with him at this place. This, Nate tells us Spencer a lie here. Because she's like, I don't like this place. He goes, the food's better than it looks. And then he picks the pita up and he goes, the pita is, um... And then he realizes, I can't say it was made here. Nobody's going to believe that. It's a small kitchen. So he just goes, and a bakery down the road. It could be a Spencer lie because... It had to be made somewhere. Yes. So it had to be made... Down had, the road is a broad phrase. It had to be made in a bakery somewhere down the road. Absolutely. <laughs> but he clearly is just making this up. He's trying He's trying to grasp with straws here. Uh, but at this point, though, Anastasia is so thoroughly checked out that she has already, you know, negotiated and worked out her exit plan. Her friend, Notably, this has checked out she's been from the get-go. Her friends are already out front. She pre-called them to get them already there. There are several models. You don't have much there, Nate. You really don't have much there. There are several models in a car blaring, wake me up before you go, go, to the world. Wake me up before you go, go. And Anastasia just exit mid-conversation, leaving Nate, I see, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what Nate is confused about, but he appears to be, and the manager swoops in to be sympathetic and also explain that, no, dude, she's gone, and you have to pay for the booze. Gotta pay for the booze. Always have to pay for the booze. There are rules here. Booze will never be comped unless you are... You're really high up. You oh. gotta be really high up for booze to get comped in any club or anything. Uh, Richmond, uh, fair to say, is slaughtered. I think they lose the game four zero. It is four zero. Yeah, and I, I don't like that part of the the athletic storytelling. Mm. I feel like this would have been better if Jamie had scored one because I feel like what they're setting up is Jamie's going to be the striker that helps them get back. I mean, you can you can see where the shit's going. Yeah. It would they I would have liked a little breadcrumb that Jamie scored one goal in like maybe the extra time or something to show me that his time with Roy is starting to pay off. It seems to me that rather than go with that, which I feel like would be more realistic to show the build, they went for more the symbolic, the low point. This okay. is the nader. That they lost a game completely shut out, dispirited, fans are heckling them, heckling all the players there, pointedly Isaac actually too, they're going after him heavily. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think it's meant to be just kind of symbolic of we want to share them at their lowest possible moment so that Ted can finally be a coach again and offer his speech to send them on an upswing hereafter. All right, you sold me. I, I'm, I'm okay with it now. I, I think it's the narrative structure, but just from a logical structure, I'm with you. I kind of want, I wanted a little bit more Jamie involvement now, so it just, doesn't just feel like later that it's Ted's inspirational speech that turns everything around. I hope I hope they don't do that for Jamie in particular because it's Jamie's hard work that's doing this. He's been working hard the entire damn time. Ted's yeah. just swooping at the 11th hour to finally give a speech again. Yeah, but I, you, you sold me. I think that makes sense from a narrative perspective. Uh, Meanwhile, Rebecca is in what is just a scene designed to earn tears and just show us that the actress has chops. Uh, Here's from her doctor, and the basic subject matter of it is, there is seemingly either no hope or very low hope that no matter treatments, she'll be able to bear bear and have children herself. Which, this isn't news. She already kind of knew this, or at least suspected it going back from season one, but it does now finally and firmly close a door for her. Which... Her reaction is fascinating. It goes through a cycle of emotions. It, all, it has a certain aspect of being depressed and deflated, but almost an aspect of just... There's that kind of laugh associated with it, too. Of, oh, look at that thought that I had. It's gone now. Didn't Are matter. Are we sure we know what the the, the news was the doctor's I, telling I'm us? assuming negative. It's fair. We don't hear a single word the doctor says. Because her words are, oh, it's it's definitely to be, be better to be sure. And I interpreted that negatively. That's how I interpreted that. But you're, you're right, though. We, we don't know for sure. Yeah. I don't know. They could be pulling a little switcheroo. The show likes to do that. It is possible. Uh, while this is happening... Julian Jacks in Entry. Yeah, let's go. Can we talk about Can we talk about the kink the writers on this show apparently have? Okay. I'm going to see the floor. Fire away. How many relationships on this show is this show going to do season by season of bosses and employees getting together? Are people in senior positions of power over you dating dating people that are under their immediate command? Let them that's know. what Jack. Why, why is, is that a problem? Is a, is a is a power imbalance. There's an inherent abuse of power and there's inherent conflict of interest going forward with respect to maintaining that kind of relationship while also having someone you have the power of hiring and firing under your command as your immediate dating partner. There are reasons workplaces ban that. There are ethical issues out the wazoo with respect to it. We talked about that heavily. With respect to Sam and with respect to Rebecca, you were more focused on the age difference, but for me, it was the fact that she was the owner of the team and he was a player that was a serious issue. I think Jack and Keeley at least falls in similar lines. Oh, owner, employee. She's the owner of the venture capital camp that's it's financing them. She is the, her immediate report, effectively. I you don't know that piece. I have ethical issues with respect to that kind of power imbalance. I'm curious of your thoughts. It does seem to at least be a repeated theme on the show in terms of them liking to portray those relationships. It, it does. And it, they've done it too much and they're a little too blasé about it for my taste. But I, I think there is a little bit of a difference from somebody who's in the office every day as your direct manager mm-hmm. who fills out your performance reports and talks to you about your salary and does all the day-to-day management stuff and an owner of the overall thing that's like kind of more removed that doesn't do day-to-day management necessarily Mm -hmm. and we haven't seen that jack necessarily does day-to-day management she pops in from time to time but i don't think that she's there all the time um let's 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 say for a zoom Zoom conversation let's say she isn't right Mm -hmm. um let's say she's there three months out of the year Mm -hmm. that's not the same as a in the office every day i train you i tell you you know when you're messing up when you're not messing up it's a different scale yeah, so there's a, there's slight differences there, but the I think the logic still holds that there is somewhat of a power amount. I would say Keeley made the first move. I mean, whatever. Mm. Um, I get it. 
I don't like that the show does it so much. Here's the only rejoinder I have. Please. Is that they are portraying really wealthy and really famous people. Yes. Pretty much every one of the characters is either really wealthy or famous. So, as a result, is there not the same power imbalance because they have an in, kind of an infinite base by which they're operating? That's not that's not where I was going. Although, Go on. maybe I need to change my argument. Uh, <laughs> no, what I was going to say is that like that people who are really wealthy and really famous often have pretty insular lives. Ah. They don't have uh, hundreds and hundreds of friends because they can't because people take advantage of them and want to be for their friends only to get money or only to be around famous people so they can take a picture, put it on their Instagram, whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe their dating pool is a little smaller than what normal people would have. Very possible. And I, I, like, I like your kind of framing. Similar to what we talked about with respect to whether Sam was possibly dating or flirting with respect to his head chef, about whether is he a, directly managing the restaurant every day or whether is he just the, the owner of the restaurant and only checks in for important events. There's still, there still is a power imbalance. There it, still is. There still is a power imbalance. But it's a slightly different than the person you see every day that you have to talk about. Like, okay, what's my task at 10 a.m.? You know? mm. Well... As said, their flirtation from a fun evening spent together, the most fun Keely has had apparently in some time, continues, builds, and ultimately climaxes with Keely jumping up and kissing her boss. Woo! Who Interesting re- use of words there. I have no idea what you're talking about. Woo! Uh, they... Woo! Jack responds in kind. They appear to enjoy a delightful evening of Well, she didn't right to start with, right? It, she Jack, seemed caught off guard at first. The, the, act, the actress really sold the misdirect because Keely kissed her. Keely backs up and goes, fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And, and Jack looks like, I have got to get out of here. This is bad. Like, that's what I got from her face. Like, I've got to get out of here. This is, this is terrible. This is terrible. And then she leans up and she goes, wait. Actually, do it again. Like, and, yeah. and, and so what that look really was, was I have to stop her from being... Fucking getting in her own head and running yes. away from here. It. Uh, here's another, I like Jack. Here's a relationship I aspect like of things too that could cool. be a little problematic. Uh, I think Keely is kind of jumping into this anyway. Uh, I don't think she's necessarily in the best state of mind as she says herself that she's clearly not over Roy. She's clearly not over her last relationship. But we don't know that they're going to be in a relationship. Right? We do know they're hooking up. That's the issue. Is that if this is a fling that may make this even worse and just in terms of the problems of the imbalance or whatever else, they're difficulty going forward with respect to the relationship. I don't know. I don't necessarily know that Kiwi's the best headspace to particularly be dating anybody, but also particularly her boss. But can't disagree with any of that. I do like Jack though. Um, she's just smooth. She is she's smooth. never ruffled. Like this character that they're playing her as somebody who like you're just not gonna box her in. She's got a, a line for everything. She seems sort of kind of aloof and above everything. She's just smooth. I like her. You know, you know another character that's apparently smooth in this episode? Hmm. Nate with Jade. Yeah, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> So apparently they're now enjoying a pleasant day together, you know? Bonding over the subject of how funny it was that he commented on their baklava being divine. Yeah, uh, a guy who can, all of a sudden, the guy who has spent almost, what, a year, year and a half claiming he did not say Wonder Kid, but mm-hmm. he said Wonder Kid. He's now owning this. Now all of a sudden it. he can make fun of himself at, at just casually uh, uh, about uh, a silly line about uh, baklava. Uh, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't line up. It's not consistent. Uh, maybe they're using Jade for the sake of his character Redemption Arc, that, you know... We're seeing the she's real. She's helping him. She's helping him. She's bringing him around. He's making him more comfortable with himself in a way he never was before. Well, you know, the, the best relationships are with people who make you the best version of yourself. It's very possible. But they joke on the subject of the baklava. They joke how he sounds like his gran, which that's what really charms her when he starts talking about his gran and letting down his, you know, defenses, letting, uh, uh, dropping the facade, showing, you know, some real vulnerability. She responds to that immediately. He invites her. Awkwardly, but honestly, whether she'd like to enjoy the overlarge dessert that he ordered, assuming he had two people, and she sits down and enjoys with him. I enjoyed a little bit of the small talk going back to the Jack and Keely, the couple I'm really interested in here. <laughs> Go on, return. 
um, where they're, they're small talking, and she goes, um, nope, not going to talk about Roy. Not going to talk about Roy. Nope. And because it still hurts, I'm tired of feeling like that. Like that. I used to Do, have doesn't say Roy. Pointedly doesn't, doesn't say, say who it is. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's also realistic, right? That Jack thinks, oh, you, you did a football, Jamie. Because we know that they were like a couple that was in magazines and stuff. And For a while, yeah. Jamie. So it would, be, it would make sense that she would remember, oh, yeah, I think I football, saw you in the yeah. tabloids or whatever. Um, but she says, uh, and I'm tired of feeling like that. I used to be a happy person. Jack says, you seem happy to me, which is absolutely flirty because she's saying like you're happy with, with me. me right now didn't we have a great day it's funny i mean not fucking a clown funny that keely god <laughs> that's damn, funny yes god damn keely that made me laugh i paused while i was doing my notes to laugh at that line it was so funny i, I like that jack also is just letting her hair down with respect <laughs> to this conversation where she's talking about her prior relationship with a clown and joking about it fun. it's a it's a fun person that can laugh at themselves if you didn't know that jack was interested she, as the owner, is talking through her sexual history with Keely. She's very interested. There should have been no ambiguity for either person in this room. Keely knows people too. Like when Keely backs up and goes, "Fuck, I shouldn't have done that." I, you kind of want to like pause your Keely. You're a Jedi Master with people. You know people perfectly. You yes. read. You read those signals. Absolutely correct. No, no you you knew what you were doing. In, in a scene, I want to. I'm curious of your thoughts about about how successful it was. Ted gets in touch with Henry via, via FaceTime yeah. to discuss, you know, what happened, and. It appears that everything was kind of perfectly resolved off camera of where Henry's great and perfectly, almost unrealistically well-adjusted. He's already recognized that he did wrong and that he should have followed his dad's philosophy, but he's already fixed it by means of a rap presentation to fix it with the other guy. and Everything's hunky-dory. If this is really how they're wrapping this up, I'm disappointed. Because this felt like, again, something that's been more dramatic, more interesting, more successfully implemented that they've now just kind of fixed and done. I think that they were... It's either purposeful or not, but they were a little loose with the word bully because what what it gets explained to me by Henry as I lost my temper for a minute. Yeah, and that is not bullying necessarily. It is that is that's I got in a fight. I had a momentary flare of anger, which by the way, developing kids around what what is Henry ten mm-hmm. like fully understandable that sometimes you can't you can't handle your emotions. Mister Rogers has hours and hours on this about how yes, difficult it is for children to handle their emotions and we shouldn't berate them when they struggle with it. We should try to help them with it. That's all realistic. I don't think that's bullying. So I'm a little confused about what, the term. It almost feels like a certain element of either false advertising on behalf of the show or just a very poor choice of words on behalf of Michelle because it's more accurate. Henry got in a fight. So maybe it's the school, the school described that to Michelle that way or maybe Michelle feeling uber amounts of guilt used that word. I don't know. But either way, I think that what, what, what ends up Ted ends up in taking is well that wasn't necessarily bullying he lost his temper for a moment mm-hmm. all kids are going to do that at some point but he recognized it he even called back to some lessons that I have given him yes. specifically everything is hunky dory so honestly the, it all worked for me but I, I can see when you went into to that on the subject of bullying when you went into that I thought oh they did put a really super nice bow. bow tie on that without a hint of lint on it like it's just a perfect picturesque <laughs> bow tie you're right they did do that but it, it worked for me because I don't think the show ever intended you to dislike Henry and they want to make sure that's off the table. I think it just add, would add more to the, well, here's how they played this. I thought they were going to add to the underlying tension with respect to Ted feeling guilty about his son being away that he's concerned about whether his son is progressing the way he wants to and there's some evidence to suggest there could actually be some problems. Instead, they're just doing it I'm not here to even see those moments happen to see how well my son is doing or even understand the moments until after the fact. I kind of would have preferred the former to the latter. We're getting more of the latter, it seems like. Ted still has a panic attack on this subject, but he's able to 
work his way through it by kind of repeating a mantra of, he's okay, he's going to be okay, he's okay, he's okay, with respect to his son. Hammering home, as we've suspected, his biggest stress or panic attack is because he's concerned about his relationship with his son and how his son's progressing and that he's a distant father in a way he doesn't want to be. Right. You know, all the players are freaking out on the subject of Zaba's retirement news with everyone, particularly Danny, crushed by this development. Uh, Ted, then, in what is sadly one of the rare moments of this season, but I'm happy now to see it, acts the head coach. He goes, he speaks to his team, and he gets them back on message. He tells them, Zaba's retiring, shouldn't be taken personally. It's like your girlfriend running off with her soulmate. You can't be that angry. Uh, and in fact, they don't need him. They want to win, but they should only do so with the folks that want to be here. And in fact, they've got all they need to win if they believe it. And it's not just about the signs and symbols that notably break in half behind him. Belief is something inside of you that can't be taken away. They just get too much crap in their way, stuff that they shouldn't be dealing with anymore. And ends with, in very solid fashion, I'll just do it, Ted's, uh, repeat what Ted says. Well, you know what I want to mess around with? The belief that I matter, you know? Regardless of what I do or don't achieve, or the belief that we all deserve to be loved, whether we, we've been hurt or maybe we've hurt somebody else. Or what about the belief of hope? Yeah, that's what I want to mess around with. Believing that things can be better, that I can be better, that we will get better. To believe in yourself, to believe in one another, that's fundamental to being alive. And look, if you can do that, if each of you can truly do that, nope, can't nobody rip that apart. See y'all Monday. That's a powerful speech. It's a speech very much within you know the parameters of what we expect out of Ted and what he offers as a coach. And it feels like a season one ending of an episode in terms of Ted inspiring and building up the team again. I was happy to see this once again from Ted. Yeah, I, I was glad to see it from Ted. I feel like it's it could have been one of those television moments that we go back to over and over again. Because the speech, the belief that I matter, you know, regardless of what I do or don't achieve, or the belief that we all deserve to be loved, that's, that's it's profound huge, philosophical. huge big stuff that could be seminal moment television it's not because it was tacked on to a relatively weak episode of the show it doesn't so help that frustrates you. me also love the actual ending the actual ending is Roy walking out and Jamie under his breath because the other players still don't know he's doing this under his breath the Roy goes tomorrow at 4am and Roy goes damn fucking right I love that again that's my yes because I, I am it's my favorite part of the season the thing that will make me stand up and like go like start cheering this episode this season is when Jamie starts rolling because Jamie wanted to, because Jamie worked for it, because he's put in the drive, he's put in the initiative, not just on belief, but by honest-to-God effort to make this happen. That's a win. He knows he didn't start as talented as Zaba or some of the strikers he's going against. He knows he had a lot of work to do. And he has he done, wants it. He's done it. We've seen the physical manifestation of all the emotional work he's been doing the previous two seasons. Mm -hmm. This character has come so far, and he... like. Jamie, give me a damn Jamie Tart journey. He has gone so far because he worked on himself season one, season two, to the point that Keely even says he's not, he doesn't even date people. He just, he's, he's kind of out of the dating market. He's just working on himself. We see little things constantly about how Jamie's getting better. His ability to not lose his temper of how to not, even when he's taking something personally, not to act out and act the fool and say crazy stuff. His vanity has sort of almost disappeared completely. Mm -hmm. He shows up for things like Sam's restaurant opening, even though he wasn't in the best headspace that night. He still went because that was his teammate. Mm -hmm. And he's willing to humble himself to say, my my nemesis in season one, season two, Roy, the guy dating the woman that I like, mm -hmm. he can help me. Fuck it. I will backpack my... my um, 
ego and I will let him help me. I, I'm rooting for Jamie more than possibly any other character in this show. I think it's the most earned success that we'll see. 100% agree. I'm wanting this to be not only just a Ted success, but in the season of Richmond success, but pointedly a Jamie success, because he has fought for it. Jamie And that's it. Wraps up the recap. That wraps up the recap. Thank you very much for doing it. Live from sunny New Orleans. Happy for it. Spencer has done the recap. Okay, let's jump into train wreck of the episode. Woo! Who is the train wreck? Of this episode, you think? I it's a, it's an interesting kind of thing to call of where several characters have their lows moments have we their know rough Shandy, things together. We both hate that character so much. I feel like she's off the table. I, I I don't want to do Shandy at all. I might do Danny actually. I'm gonna I might pick Danny as a character because he's the one that's most crushed by Zava, and he's the one that was previously viewed as a rival to Jamie, a person of similar ability to Jamie, a person of similar value to the team. And I feel like that we've not been seeing that of him anymore because he either is not putting in the effort or he's just been so caught up on the Zaba bandwagon that he's in some ways been letting his own prodigious talents rot on the vine. So seeing him so affected by this and so in need of being reassurance as compared to Jamie, his main point of contrast, having been building himself up over the course of the season, I don't think I realized how much of a train wreck Danny was until this episode. You kind of had your sights on the Danny character for a while, and you're right. You're, it's not, that's, they're, they're failing with that character. Now I'm going to say something. I want you to remember the battery, the battery laws that are in place. Careful. In Orleans, and specifically this parish. I'm in arm reach right you now. You can't put hands on me. Otherwise, you're in trouble with your ilk. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it to Rebecca this episode. I'm taking off my rings. They're coming I, off right I now. I have Just, to give it to her. I'm not going to hit you with a ring on. I'm not going to do that. I'm not that kind of friend. <laughs> she, what is it? It's like soap in the sock. <laughs> this is that kind soap of thing. Soap in the sock. Uh, I have to give it to her for multiple reasons. One is she got her hopes up she about did. something that she knew was, was, was pretty, dangerous. Was dangerous, was low risk. She knew it was so dangerous, she berated the psychic by mm-hmm. saying the psychic was dangerous for mentioning it. But because the psychic mentioned it, but by the way, she doesn't even really believe in the psychic. No, she's she still, the She still allowed herself to get really worked up about it. And... I don't, I'm not blaming her for that, but I am saying if you're saying who is the who's the biggest train wreck, meaning they had a bad episode, meaning they they struggled, they had you know things they were dealing with. Uh, it's got that that part has to play in for Rebecca. Also, Rebecca finally screws up the courage after what six weeks of losing. There's been a lot of losing mm. to go down and tell Ted what the fuck is going on. And she ends up almost being told off by Ted about it. <laughs> and she doesn't stop him to say. Inappropriate. Like you need to engage with me on this topic. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not sorry for going down there and talking to you. I've about got this. all right to confront you on team performance. In fact, when Higgy Bottoms, MVP as he always is, comes in and says, We got to consider that maybe it's a Ted problem, she won't even engage on the topic. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the episode, she's fussing with this fucking green matchbook. It's like, get the fucking psychic out of your head. Mm-hmm. Go have the tough conversation with your employee that Ted is not Ted has to get his head back in the game here, and he's fully capable of it. We know that. He just has to refocus his attention. His, his attention's not been on the team, and it's showing. And Rebecca's the one who can lead him there. And she's not doing it because she's scared to upset her friend, which is why you don't hire your friends. Although, you shouldn't hire a friend. They became friends after they were hired. But still, that's why these types of relationships are so difficult in the workplace. Because the honest feedback she should be giving Ted, she can't give it because her emotions are getting in the way because she likes the man. But the coach isn't doing a good job. Have I convinced you it's Rebecca? I'm institutionally required to say no, fuck off, she's a goddess, and you can't say anything bad about Got her. Got it. So, Logically, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's the train wreck of the episode. I will resist the urge to cuff you later on this subject. Okay, thank you. Um, 
If I end up with strange bruises on me, you, you all know what happened. But I, I, I <laughs> besmirched that one in the record. Besmirched the honor of Rebecca in front of Spencer. He's fine. You'll learn. Um, okay, let's go to um, Sports Center Top 10. Uh, one from me to start things off. Uh, well, hold on. Let's explain the Sports Center Top 10 segment for people who might be joining us for the very first time. Sports Center Top 10, because this is a sports show, we do Sports Center Top 10, which is where we discuss 10. Not 9, not 11, not 8, not 12. Things that we liked about the episode or we thought more interesting. So we kind of pull nuggets out of the episode. We do deep dives on them. Talk about them a little bit more if we find them interesting. Mm-hmm. Fire away. Uh, one from me. I think we've talked before in this show how much we both love musicals. Or at least certain musicals. You have different views on a couple of them. Uh, one that I do positively adore. has been referenced not only in this episode but in prior ones. My Fair Lady is an absolutely great musical. Uh, it is, like referenced in here, it's an adaptation of uh, George Bernard Shaw's play Pygmalion. Um, but it is telling the story of Eliza Doolittle, a Cockney flower girl who is, by means of a bet by a, uh, a I believe he said, a professor of, linguists, uh, of linguistics, uh, Henry Higgins, he decides, I'm going to make a bet that I can turn anyone into the subject of a proper lady. Same, same story of She's All That and many other adaptations. It is charming. It is remarkably well acted. And if we focus on, say, the movie adaptation uh, with Rex Harrison and I believe it was Audrey Hepburn. Um, and it is clearly one of my favorites. It's very much award-winning. The Broadway, the Broadway production ran back in the 50s and scored over six Tonys in its inaugural year, including Best Musical. It introduced me to Rex Harrison as an actor and to his very unique style of singing, which you've never heard of the Rex Harrison style of singing. It's immediately charming, even though he's totally not singing and yet consistently cast in <laughs> singing roles. It's a style of singing that more actors should actually employ when they just legitimately can't sing. But... In terms of me ranking my favorite musicals, My Fair Lady would probably put in my top three easily. Just very much I enjoy it, particularly as the movie adaptation. Okay. Uh, there was yet another Moby Dick reference in this show. We've gotten many. Oh, I did a deep frequently. dive. Frequently. I did a deep dive on a previous episode about Moby Dick and Herman Melville. I'm going to take a different spin here on Herman Melville because we continue to go back to this author. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about the fact that during his lifetime, do you think Moby Dick was the best-selling book he wrote during his lifetime? I've heard before it wasn't. I don't remember which one was, though. Not only wasn't it, Moby Dick was the sixth best-selling book. <laughs> the classic of lifetime. American literature. During his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, um, so during his lifetime, the book that he wrote that sold the most was Typey. T-Y-P-E-E. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. Uh, it's not taken off since, but that was the most popular one when he was alive. Now, since he has died, obviously, Moby Dick is the most popular book he's written. Mm-hmm. Do you know what's number two? This might be a book you've heard of. Tell me. I'm curious. Pierre. That one I've heard of, yes. Pierre is number two. Um, so, I think a lot of people out there, um, newbies to the literary game, like myself, really, mm-hmm. might think Mo- uh, Moby Dick, Herman Melville, one-hit wonder. I don't... I'm not sure I'd classify Herman Melville one hit wonder, although you probably, you know, if you just have a, a glancing interest in literature, you will probably only know one of his books. Mm-hmm. But books like Battle Pieces, Pierre, uh, Marty, all really good books, and all have sold a lot since he's died. Uh, here's a little bit of trivia for me about Herman Melville. My actual favorite work by Herman Melville is not, not one of the ones you mentioned. It, right. it is a short story. Have you ever read Bartleby the, Scri- the Scrivener? I've not. Uh, as an attorney, it thoroughly amuses me. And it, you know, every now and then, uh, mo- most attorneys have, for some reason, read it at some point. If you ever have, if ever heard one of them say, I'd prefer not to, they're making an in-joke reference to that story. Would strongly recommend to our listeners. Well, I'm, I'm pretty much always up for a, a short story. Uh, I will usually take that. Okay, what's your next one? Uh, baklava. Uh, is it a dessert you enjoy, sir? I'm curious. Baklava. Um, yeah, uh, I do I, like baklava. I actually don't. I just find it too, fl- too flaky. 
it, it becomes it, too flat. You don't like puff pastry. Uh, it is puff pastry that can puff pastries can work for me at times. Baklava, given that it's sticky and also flaky, it just tends to get everywhere when I try to eat it. You eat it with your fingers, don't you? I do, I have eaten it with my fingers. Yes, okay. and that is a mistake. Fork and knife it. Fork and knife only. Fork and knife it. There are rules for desserts. Well, no, I mean pe- people eat it with their fingers for sure. But I have found that it's easier for me to deal with because it, usually there's a honey drizzle on top of it, and then the honey drizzle will actually t- take. Pe- this might be what you're talking about. Pieces of the puff pastry will stick to your fingers. Oh, absolutely! You can't get them off. off. Yes. Yeah, that's why I fork and knife it, uh, and it, and it works for me. I think it's delicious. I, you know, I, as I've gotten older, I mean, like most people, I'm I'm less interested in overly sweet things. Your tastes have changed. And I I love the I love the the pistachio and the baklava and mm-hmm. the, the the fact that it's a tad more savory. So it, it works for me over time. Got to use a fork and knife. The, I mean, there's actually apparently a, a biochemical reason for that. That as you age, your ability to detect sweet things improves, so that actually you become much more sensitive to sweet things and appreciate them. While your ability to taste savory things goes down, so you start to appreciate those more because you're not just being overpowered by the flavor. It makes sense. That's why. Uh... Butter pecan ice cream is a thing. Butter pecan ice cream is a wonderful damn thing. <laughs> Wouldn't have told you that twenty years ago, but I do believe it now. There are categories of people. There are categories of desserts where it's fascinating to say that I, you know, at, at young ages, that that's a dad dessert. It's something that dads would enjoy. That I now all universally like. You get a group of people over forty, and you want to like really win the room with a dessert option. Mm-hmm. Pistachio ice cream. People go fucking Good, crazy. Good strong sell right there. Yeah, big. But you'll be the most popular guy at the party. But I was curious about the origin of the baklava because I've eaten it for a while, and I always associated it as actually being like a Greek dessert. But the name—that's what I did. Too. The name itself is is, is Turkish. And there were, it was joined the oh, English language. Oh, I didn't know six, it was Turkish. It, it joined the English language in about 1650, and the word itself probably most likely to, it comes from Turkish roots, and you know within the Ottoman Empire in terms of immediate origins. What was interesting though is that its historical origins probably don't come originally from Turkey. They possibly come from well far more ancient pre-Ottoman roots, maybe even descending going back into the Roman era. It may be something that they actually, you know, inherited and took over as part of the process of taking over the, the remnants of the Roman Empire when they, when they took that over. One of the earliest origins I was able to find, I was horrified by this name, but ancient Roman placenta cake, which is apparently a thing. Uh, what? The name is not as terrifying as it might, as it might sound. Yeah. It is... Apparently, just uh, a mixing of cheese and honey flavored with bay leaves and mini dough layers baked in together and then coated again in honey. What does that kind of sound like? In terms of mini layers of, p- of pastry baked and layered together with a lot of honey put in the mix. Yeah, it sounds like vodka to me. Uh, there are some thoughts that that may be part of the origin. but there Could t- be, but the, the, but the adding of the nuts, maybe. But the, the nuts may have been an extra addition. Things have changed and developed over time. It's not certain, though. There are similarities between baklava and other ancient Greek desserts. There are similar connections in terms of aspects of Turkish cuisine, maybe even going back to the nomadic period. There are word origins that connect actually maybe even to Mongol roots, which again could tie to the original Turkic nomadic basis. There are also connections that descend into Persian cuisine. Baklava is a surprising and mysterious dish when it comes to their origins, one that historians are apparently caught up in knots on the subject of. However, most everyone, including me, would agree it tastes good. Yeah, I like baklava. I think hopefully with the suggestion of the fork and knife, maybe that might change things for you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it did, it did help me with the I have hopes now with yes. the dessert. Um, but now I'll uh, probably for the next at least year, every time I hear baklava, I'll be you're thinking, thinking about, placenta cake. No, no, no. Uh, thank God, not thought. Um, no, I'll be thinking about uh, Jade and Nate actually finally starting to get along a little bit you, because you'll be, that's you'll be sharing a laugh with the them. only thing in Nate's world I'm rooting for. I hope he fails professionally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
You won't I, let this character just I suffer. Hope he hurts. I hope he's poor for a long time, but yeah. I do hope that Jade starts to like him because even through all of the bullshit, there's this real honest, earnest desire to talk to her and be around her that from him. No matter how how sideways he's gotten with everybody else, he's still going to that restaurant and he's still trying to make small talk with her. I want to ask you a question about when you might riot. If by end of the season, Nate comes back to the team and the team's angry at them and Ted instead gets angry at the team for being for not just immediately forgiving Nate, will you be annoyed? Yeah, I can I'll, see that coming. Yeah, I'll be very annoyed at Ted. And I think if they write it the way that I think they should, just my humble opinion, is that the players should get frustrated with Ted if with that dynamic and they should play that out. Except, Where the uh, players go, you know what, Ted? No, you're not going to fucking tell except, me that I have to forgive this guy when he was a jackass to you and everybody else here and for all the stuff we work really hard for. I feel like, you know, we've seen Beard being able to like, have a read on Ted. If Ted tries to do that, I picture Beard saying, Ted, how different is this than the conversation you had with Michelle? Mm. How, what, think about the comparisons for a minute. How much are you just bearing your own pain and your own issues and how the rest of the team was hurt for the sake of just pretending everything's okay? That's a That's a... That would be a. I, I want. I, I don't want, want to say some a, kind of confrontation. On I don't that. want to say a reach by Beard, but it would be farther into Ted's personal life than he typically goes. I'm not saying it's off the table, mm-hmm. but normally he doesn't go quite that far. But we'll see. I mean, he would be the character to deliver that message if anybody can. Mm-hmm. All right, mine is the message rap song. Ted briefly says he references oh, the, please, the tell rap me song more. called <laughs> the message. The message is a song written by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, released on the very famous record label Sugar Hill Records. Mm. This is in 1982. Um, the birth of hip hop was 1972, so we're 10 years into hip hop now. It's still very much an underground thing, and he releases a song called "The Message." And you know, I think that when people like, so if people who like hip hop mm. are selling people who don't like hip hop on it, there's one of two entry points. There's well. When you're at a club, you can bounce your head to it, and it's really great, right? Like, it's just fun, right? That argument's not really for me, but for a lot of people, that's their entry point to hip-hop. That's just fun. The argument that I typically use with people is that, for the most part, really established MCs will tell great stories. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's another way to tell good stories. And The Message was one of the first rap songs that actually told an interesting story that wasn't all about the same things you would typically think, which is... Oh man, I started rapping and now I'm rich and now I got all this and now I got that. I think I got the girls and I got the da, 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 da. the Big E stuff, right? Big E always sure. told that story. He told the Grandmaster Flash told the story and the message of a young youth who grew up in inner city poverty who really tries not to get into crime, but has no other way to be wealthy, no other way to make mm-hmm. money. Falls into crime, eventually gets caught by the police, goes to jail, and commits suicide. Now you wouldn't think that this is a song. That would light up the fucking uh, airwaves in 1982, <laughs> but it was so well done. The Jesus beats, the, Christ! The beat's so good. Grandmaster Flash is so talented that it really caught on and people really liked it. And it's one of the first examples of the type of hip hop that I love to point people to, who dismiss hip hop as like nothing but booty shaking music, and say, no, they tell interesting, pertinent this stories, especially for America. And I think the message is one of the first songs to do that. Remind me. Henry didn't deliver the message as his apology rap, no, right? No, 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 no. Just, just making sure, because I tend to make a joke about, about the message. No, I think right his message, and, and message is also a good rap song. That's what he was saying. So make sure, because if, if, if that was Henry's apology message, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, well, I don't, I, yeah. We, we ten, don't hear. Maybe 10's a little young, kind of like The Hobbit, a little young. But maybe, oh, yes, maybe yes. 15, I think you could probably start telling that story. Because, I mean, you know, it is, he's talking about a young youth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does get dark in the end. 
Uh, I think we're at 10 on the Sports Center Top 10. Or do you have another it's one? Actually, actually nine. I, I lose count. You said um, So Ted does reference with, with Henry, who, by the way, Henry gets accused of bullying. I'm not sure he bullied, but definitely did something he shouldn't have got done in at school. at least a fight, it seems. But he gets through the episode without losing any, any points for me. I still really like Henry. He is going to log on with his dad later and play Roblox. Uh-huh. Now, Spencer, you know what Roblox is? I have played it before. Roblox is. Yeah, well, I'm still what, what you play. Tell it's, us what you play. Uh, I mean, it's, it's basically a platform by which you can play all kinds of games, really, right? Yes, exactly. It, it's, meant, it's meant to be just almost like a fun room of different activities. It, that's kind of what it is. It's, uh, it's, it's an app, right, that you can get on your phone or you can get it on your, your different consoles. And you, join, you log on, and then you're in this platform where a lot of little games are being played, mm-hmm. and you can play a lot of little games. Um, I'll just talk you through a couple that are popular right now. Lifetopia Earthquake, Evade, Doors, um, Club Roblox Zoo, Mega Mansion. A lot of people have heard of Mega Mansion, Rainbow Friends. So it's a bunch of not super, like, th- these are the games it, you hate. It's, pretty, it's, it's very popular with, like, Henry's generation. That's most of the people I play with, my nieces and nephews, were it, in that age. It's not super deep dives. It's not big yeah. RPG games, but it's a lot of little fun games that you can uh, play. Uh, oh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog also makes an appearance in Roblox. I'm not getting, like, the stories of the message in terms of the games the way I like to get from these kind of things. No, but, um, you know, I kind of I thought it was kind of cool that they, that's a platform where him and Ted can both jump on, and then they can just start picking games and playing and keeping score and having a good time. It's in the same category of Minecraft. It's an opportunity to play some... It's, we were playing with Legos at that age. It's the opportunity to play some variety of digital Legos with other people. So there you go. Roblox, that is, uh, that's 10. That is 10 on the nose. Now we go to Ted's relationship advice of the episode. Woo! All right. Tell us, sir. I'm curious. How do we give relationship advice of an episode when the vast majority of relationships in the episode seem rushed, we don't necessarily believe a lot of them. Mm-hmm. We have issues. We poke holes here, there. I guess maybe the thing that I would point out is two things. One, I think it's fair to say, just by talking to people and asking them, how did you meet the person you're with, mm-hmm. that you don't have to be 100% over the last person before you date the next person. That is should fair. You, should that you, is fair. Should you be 100% still upset about it? No, of course not. No. But you don't have to be, I'm so over it, and I'm in the best healthy but, place, and I don't even care about that person. You you can date before then, right? And that, I think that, that that's fair. A, I think that's okay. And, you know, some people set that hard line for themselves. Like, well, I'm not over so-and-so, and it's been a year and a half, and it's like, you know, maybe a way you can get over them is to, to get somebody else in your life. Progress. Yeah, right. So, and then two is, if you do want to buy a job at work, you, you can sit this one out. Uh, you don't you <laughs> know what this is. Go on. Uh, but if you're doing a bad job at work, you let's say you've had a kid recently and your, your mindset hasn't necessarily been on work mm. and a couple of things have slipped. Or you've had a death in the family. Or you're just not into it. You're going through a lax period. Whatever the thing you, is that's caused you, you to pull away from work a little bit. You're worried about being distant from, from your son who's overseas? Never too late to turn it around. Yes. Don't don't think, oh man, I missed this report. I missed this thing. I did that. I can't fix it. Therefore, it's too much. Therefore, I'm just going to spiral and do nothing. Do what you as, soon as you... as soon as you recognize the problem, do what you can to show good faith, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not sure that the next episode... AFC Richmond's going to start winning for nothing. I hope they don't. But, I legitimately hope they don't turn around that fast. But I hope that Higgins and Rebecca both see that Ted has started to engage again and he's on a positive upswing. Yes. Because a lot of employers will keep employees that have had bad performance periods if they think they're on the upswing. Yeah. But if, you, if they think you're just mired in self-pity and, and frustration, 
then they probably are going to think they're not going to get much out of you. But if they see, well, you know what? They're trying to dig their way out of this. Mm-hmm. Then you have a chance. So that's what I would say is that like Ted, Ted, who I don't think was really a danger of being fired anyway, but he did go through a bad performance period. I hope that by, okay, you know what I can't, you know, I noticed it. This is what I can do in this moment is showing good faith. And that will be steps toward his sort of redemption. Mm-hmm. Career-wise, I'm with you. All uh, right. Fingers crossed that is kind of the route they're going with. All right. Well, you know, it's an episode that I think both of us would, would rate rate toward the end, um, toward the lower half. Yeah. Of Ted Lasso episodes, but we did get an hour and fifty minutes of content out of it, so we got that going for Podcast us. Podcast professionals, sir. Podcast professionals. Thanks for doing this, Spencer. It's good to see you in person. As Sam Straight, man. always, my podcast partner. Crime. Thanks everybody for listening. And we did mention multiple times during the podcast that we'd like to hear your feedback on a number of issues. So please. Go to mangumtalks.com, up the right-hand corner, click contact us, fill out the form, let us know what you think. Go to mangumtalks, uh, or facebook.com slash mangumtalks, or at mangumtalks on Twitter. Uh, or you can just rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform that you're on, because all the major ones I check. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be right back with you next week for episode six of the last episode.